Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, Gillette presents the World Series. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Mel Allen with Jim Britt greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Boston Braves and Cleveland Indians warm up for the fifth game in this great championship series. Gillette is on the air the year-round with on-the-spot broadcasts of leading sports events. Gillette also airs the major boxing match of the week every Friday night. In this 1948 World Series, ladies and gentlemen, tribal warfare, it appears uh, in this tribal warfare that the Clevelands have the Indian sign on their embattled brethren, the Braves, and with it, most experts figure a bright chance of smoking the peace pipe long about two hours or so from now, because that's all there'll be left to do if the Clevelands continue to keep the Bostons penned up on the reservation, so to speak. However, the Boston's chief medicine man hopes that he's come up with a proper potion today that will send the Clevelands fleeing back to the banks of the Charles River, where the Braves figure to be more powerful in their own wigwam. Although Cleveland leads in the series three games to one and needs but today's victory to capture the Classic, their superiority is not so great when seen from the standpoint of cold figures, which are surprisingly even. For example, the two teams have the identical number of base hits in the series. 22 for Boston, 22 for Cleveland. In the matter of two base hits, the Boston Braves have four, the Cleveland Indians have four. Neither team has any triples. And in the matter of home runs, the Braves have one hit by Marv Rickert. And the Indians have one, hit by Larry Doby. Now, in the matter of runs batted in, the Indians hold an edge, seven to three. Braves have driven in three runs, the Indians seven. The Indians have scored altogether eight runs, and the Braves three, which is quite a figure in itself. In the four games played to date, there have been a combined total of only 11 runs scored by the two teams. And the 44 base hits for a four-game series is 10, is a new record, 10 under the previous record, previous record low for four games, which was uh, 54 base hits, which incidentally the New York Yankees and Cincinnati Reds set in the 1939 World Series over the first uh, four games. The band and the color guard are approaching home plate, coming in from left field, and I suggest that we pick up the music as the fans here in huge municipal stadium, and we probably will have another tremendous crowd are rising to uh, take off their cat, their hats and greet the colors as they come marching behind home plate. So let's listen to the music just for a moment.
music is being supplied, incidentally, by the National American Legion Championship Band, which hails from Girard, Ohio. Getting back to our figures, the Boston Braves have received seven walks, and the Cleveland Indians have received seven bases on balls. There again, the figures are identical. In the matter of strikeouts, the Boston Braves have struck out 13 times, and the Cleveland Indians have struck out 13 times. It seems to be uncanny the way the figures are even in almost every department, except in the one-and-loss column, and the Indians have uh, won three games to the Boston Braves' one. All those score games, all games that could have gone either way, one base hit could have changed the complexion of the entire World Series up to this point. And though, compared to uh, other World Series, you haven't had the explosive incidents repeatedly or the tremendous excitement that often occurs in World Series play, this has been a series, of course, in which pitching has been the predominant factor. Cleveland, despite the fact that they do not have any uh, edge, numerically speaking, other than in the one and lost column, which is the most important one, nevertheless has appeared to be a very highly confident team, ready to rise to most any serious occasion, otherwise seemingly content to grab a small lead and sort of hold on to it and uh, watch the Braves and, shall we say, their frustration. Now you've got out on the field of play a clown running around and somehow he uh, let a duck slip out of his uh, blouse and the duck is out at the mound. I can assure you of one thing, the duck will not do the pitching today. However, the duck is still out at the mound and standing there, he's not moving off. The clown has disappeared and the duck is just standing out there watching this huge crowd of people. And incidentally, yesterday's crowd of over 81,000 set a new World Series record. Also set a new record for uh, attendance at a single game, although it was not quite as large as the over 82,000 uh, crowd that saw a doubleheader here in Cleveland during the course of the regular season that broke a doubleheader crowd record set by the New York Yankees some years ago with the Red Sox. Now there is a Cleveland uh, attendant chasing the duck out around about second base. He can't get him. He's chasing him out around shortstop. He grabs him around the head, and the duck moves away. And now he finally grabs him. Mmm. Bet he'll taste good on that table tonight. But to get back to today's game, the pitchers have been the stars of this series, of course, and today the burden of upholding that prestige falls to the lot of Bobby Feller for the Cleveland Indians and Nelson Potter of the Boston Braves. Robert William Andrew Feller, 29-year-old right-hander, born November the 3rd, 1918, at Van Meter, Iowa, will be doing the pitching. And he is looking for his first World Series victory. He was defeated by Johnny Sane, the opening game of the World Series. You know, one to nothing. And Bobby Feller has been referred to as the modern Waller Johnson. And Waller Johnson found himself going to the final game of a World Series before he could gain his first World Series victory. And that was against the Giants in 1924. Nelson Potter, who pitched a couple of innings of fine relief ball against the... Cleveland's the other day, pitched a couple of innings and didn't allow an earned run, is the surprise starter as Billy Southworth hopes that the screwball, which the right-hander throws so effectively with his other assortment, will baffle the Indians sufficiently to give the Braves victory. Nelson Potter's no newcomer to a World Series. He pitched for the St. Louis Browns in 1944 against the St. Louis Cardinals. 
and his earned run average was less than one, although he lost the last game of that World Series in 1944 to the Cardinals by a 3-1 to score when Billy Southworth, now the Braves manager, was managing the St. Louis Cardinals. Now the lineups for the Boston Braves. Leading off, playing right field, Tommy Holmes. Hitting second, playing shortstop, Al Dark. Hitting third, playing first base, Earl Torgerson. Batting fourth, playing third base, Bob Elliott. Hitting fifth, playing left field, Marv Rickard. Hitting sixth, catching, Bill Salkel. Batting seventh, playing center, Mike McCormick. Hitting eighth, playing uh, second base, Eddie Stanky in the ninth spot in the batting order and pitching, Nelson Potter. And for the Cleveland Indians, leading off is Dale Mitchell. Left field, Larry Doba hitting second, center field. Lou Boudreaux batting third, playing shortstop. Joe Gordon hitting fourth, playing second base. Kenny Keltner hitting fifth, third base. Walter Judnick hitting sixth, playing right field. Eddie Robinson hitting seventh, playing first base. Jimmy Hegan hitting eighth and catching. Hitting ninth and in the pitching spot, of course, is Bobby Feller. There are your lineups. The band is masked out in center field. The color guard. That was the the boo greeted the announcement of the umpires, uh, one of them. But the color guard is masked out in center field, and in a moment or so, we shall have the playing of the national anthem. Your umpires today will be George Barr, back of the plate. Bill Summers of the American League at first base. Bill Stewart of the National League at second. Bill Grieve of the American League at third. You will have Joe Paparella of the American League stationed down the left field foul line. And Babe Pinelli of the National League stationed down the right field foul line. So there are your lineups, ladies and gentlemen. Your umpires, Nelson Potter, a right-hander, a surprise starter in place of Warren Spahn, although we use the word surprise uh, to a slight extent. That is to say, we knew yesterday that Nelson Potter would be the pitcher. We knew it last evening. We, uh, as well as most uh, observers, figured earlier that uh, it might be Warren Spahn. Bobby Feller has just uh, concluded his warming-up chores. Nelson Potter just threw his last pitch, and now we are awaiting the playing of the national anthem and the raising of the flag. There's the bell sending the Cleveland Indians out onto the field.
explosion in the background. There's my cue, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce to you a man who's always full of uh, verbal pyrotechnics when it comes to handling this Gillette microphone. A man who today will be looking for a lot of fastballs and curves and some base hits, Jim Britt. Thank you, Mel. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, as we stand on the threshold of game number five in the World Series of 1948. Bob Feller is already on the mound, preparing to pitch to leadoff batter Tommy Holmes, who has had just one hit in 16 trips. And that is my cue to tell you that we now pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For the World Series and other top sporting events the year round, keep tuned to 710. This is WOR New York. Tommy Holmes is standing just outside the left-handed batter's box. The umpires, as Mel Allen told you a moment ago, will be George Barr of the National League staff at the plate, Summers at first base, Stewart at second, Grieve at third, Paparella down the left field line, and Babe Pinelli down the right field line. Billy Southworth, wearing his traveling gray uniform, is stationed in the third base coach's box, and the first base coach for the Boston Braves today will be Johnny Cooney. He and Freddie Fitzsimmons have been alternating throughout the series, and it appears, at the moment at least, and we're not too capable when it comes to estimating crowds here in this unfamiliar Cleveland Municipal Stadium, but it appears that this will be the largest World Series crowd. It was told me by several of the Cleveland observers prior to the game that every person whom President Bill Veck and the Indian staff could manage to squeeze into this huge shorefront Lake Erie Stadium would be here today, and there must be at least eight or 9,000 standees out back of the portable fence, which is from the 365-foot mark in left field all the way around to the 365-foot mark in right field. Bob Feller is out on the mound seeking his first World Series victory. His regular season's record was 19 wins, 15 defeats. He dropped the series opener, nothing to one to John Sane, and he now opposes Tommy Holmes, who has one hit in 16 trips and drove in the winning first game run. The pitch... Curveball outside, ball one. Against Feller will be a very cagey, shrewd, experienced screwball artist, formerly with the Philadelphia A's, St. Louis Browns, whom the Braves obtained in midseason. Feller gets his sign from Jim Hegan. Here it comes, and there's a drive to right for a base hit. A fastball, and Holmes banged it on a line between Gordon and Robinson for a single. It appeared, from here at least, that Mr. Holmes had been expecting that pitch since the series opener. Alvin Dark of Lake Charles, Louisiana, comes up. The former great Louisiana State University athlete has two hits in 16 trips and a series batting average of 125. Dark is a right-hander. The Braves have their first runner on. Bob Feller working from a stretch. Here it comes. Ball inside. Dark made no move to bunt. Incidentally, the tactics of the Braves were subjected to some criticism yesterday because trailing by one run, a bunt was called for after Stanky single in the third inning. And some of the observers who have seen a good many World Series argued that on a foreign field especially, a team is expected to go out and get as many runs. But this has been a low-scoring series. The Braves now have 23 hits. Cleveland has 22. Feller delivers. Swing and a miss. Dark swung straight away at a fastball that broke outside, and the count is one and one. Third baseman Ken Keltner, who is not exactly anticipating a bunt, 
is nevertheless playing in about two feet from third base because Dark is one of the fastest base runners in the National League. Bob Feller, who has always been a deliberate workman as well as one of baseball's greatest pitchers, is taking a lot of time in between pitches, as usual. He takes a stretch, pitches, outside and low, a fastball, and the count is two and one. Tommy Holmes on first base. Tommy was personally disappointed. He had no hits at all since the eighth inning of the first game until he just banged that line drive single into right field, which was recovered by Walt Judnick. Holmes is being held close at first base by Eddie Robinson, the Texan. The stretch by Feller. Here's the pitch. Foul ball back into the screen. That was another Feller fastball, and the count is two and two. Near the on-deck circle is one of the Braves' batting stars and one of the series stars, Earl Torgerson of Snohomish, Washington, and Natick, Massachusetts. He has four hits, and he'll be looking for number five. Dark is standing in the rear of the batter's box. He's in his first World Series. As a matter of fact, this was his first Major League full season. Two and two the count on. Feller stretches, pitches. There's a ground ball, a slow one that goes towards shortstop, and that's going to be a hit. Runners on first and second. Keltner tried to intercept it. Boudreaux went over to cover third. It seemed to be an accidental infield hit. Runners on first and second. Feller threw a fastball that was inside about belt high. Dark started to swing and tried to retract his bat, but the ball struck the handle, and it went very sharply to the left of the mound, but it had only the power to carry it about 75 feet, and Keltner rushed in fast to try to intercept it before it reached Boudreaux, and there was no throw. And immediately, Sam Zoldak, a left-hander, starts warming up for the Cleveland Indians. Two successive hits have been few and far between for the Boston Braves in this series. The infield is in, looking for the bunt with Torgerson up. And he hits a drive to right field. Judnick goes over fast, takes it, and both runners go back. The throw to second base was taken by Boudreaux, short of a double play. That one looked as though it was certain to spell trouble for Feller. It was a wicked line drive, a sinker. But Judnick went over fast and took it at about the 325-foot mark in right center. Runners on first and second. That was one of the best hit balls of the series. But Lady Luck didn't attend it in its flight as far as Torgerson was concerned. Judnick made a nice catch and a good throw. And that wasn't too far away from a double play ball. Bob Elliott up with two hits and 14 trips. Elliott is batting 143. The pitch... Strike call. Curveball thrown inside. The count, one strike. Southpaw Sam Zoldak, whom Cleveland obtained from the St. Louis Browns, is winding up out of the bullpen. The outfield, a little to the left of straightaway. The pitch. There goes a long drive to right field. That's well tagged. Judnick going back, and it is a home run. Tremendous three-run home run by Bob Elliott that went 385 feet to right field. A right-handed, right-field home run, and the Braves lead Feller 3-0. After several 
vain opportunities, the San Diegan came through. Rickard is up. He has three hits and 11 trips. He's a left-hander. One out, none on. Curveball low. Ball one. With one swing of his bat, Elliott has driven in more runs than any other World Series performer. That was his second, his third, and his fourth. Feller winds up. Here's the pitch. Strike call. Curveball over the inside. Elliott had one RBI prior to that one. And he's driven in four runs in this series, more than any other performer. The outfield is set to the right. Rickert has a home run along with Doby. Swing and a miss. Sharp curveball that broke low. The excitement that attended that home run largely stemmed from the fact that very, very few right-handers hit home runs into that sector here at Cleveland Stadium or in any other field. One and two the count. Here's the pitch. Strike called, and it's strike three. Rickard is called out on strikes as Bob Feller threw a curveball over the inside. And that's the 14th Brave strikeout victim. Catcher Bill Salkeld comes up. He's handicapped because of an injured groin muscle. But Phil Macy, on the other hand, has two injured fingers on his left hand. I was under the impression yesterday that it was his right hand that had been struck. But he has some blood blisters on his first and second fingers. Here's the pitch. High, ball one, fastball. Salkeld has one hit and three trips in this series and a batting average of 3-3-3. Feller seems to have lost not a bit of his poise. The outfield is set to the right. The pitch. Curveball called strike two. A strike one, one and one. One ball, one strike. Before the game, when I asked Billy Southworth whom his pitching nominee was to be sure that it was Potter, he said something that was significant. He said it will be Potter today and Voizel tomorrow. Here's the pitch. Low inside. That was a sharp-breaking curveball, and the count is two balls, one strike. Overhead, cloudy, overcast but there seems to be little threat of rain. Two and one the count. Saul Kell standing straight away in the batter's box. The pitch. Low inside. Three and one. Saul Kell, incidentally, seems to have had the Indian sign on the Cleveland pitchers because although he has just one hit, he has reached base two other times as well. And... It was he who got the base on balls that was turned into the winning run scored by pinch runner Phil Macy in the first game. Cleveland leads in games 3-1. Here's the pitch. There goes a long fly ball to center field. Doby goes back. He's under it. He's waiting. Takes it to retire the side. And in the first inning, the Braves have three runs, three hits, including Elliott's three-run homer. No errors, none left, and the Braves lead... The score is Boston 3, Cleveland nothing. Way back in 1869, baseball's first salaried team played the entire season without defeat. Yes, fans, and there's another team whose performance has never been matched. That's the world-famous Gillette Razor and Gillette Blue Blade, the greatest shaving combination on earth. 
You see, these two are made for each other. They fit exactly and work together perfectly. On top of that, the Gillette Blue Blade has the sharpest, most beautifully finished edges ever honed. So you skim off tough beard with Gillette Blue Blades, five for a quarter. Or for extra convenience at no extra cost, get a handy 20-blade Gillette dispenser for only 98 cents. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. The Boston Braves have a lead of 3-0. And they already have scored as many runs in this game as they did previously in the series. Dale Mitchell will be the first batter. He has a batting average of 125 in the series. He has two hits in 16 trips. Eddie Robinson is or rather Earl Torgerson, has just come over to say something to Nels Potter. The leadoff batter, Dale Mitchell, is standing just outside the left-handed batter's box. And Larry Doby, who has been the hitting star of the series for Cleveland, is in the on-deck circle. Mitchell comes from Norman, Oklahoma. Very capable baseball player. He's done a fine job in this series. No one has exactly broken any hit records, but he's patrolled the outfield very effectively. He's a left-hander. Here's the pitch. Strike call. That caught the inside corner. The last time Potter pitched here in Cleveland was in late May when he worked for the Philadelphia A's and he pitched four relief innings scorelessly. There goes a long fly ball to right field. Holmes is going back, and that one is a home run. Mitchell belted a fastball at the 380-foot mark, deep into the standing crowd. And I seem to recall Mel Allen's having said something about pyrotechnics and fireworks. The Braves are warming up two pitchers, and Larry Doby is up. The first pitch, high, ball one. Warren Spawn and Red Barrett are warming up for the Boston Braves. The score, 3-1, the Braves leading. There was the fourth home run of the series. The pitch... There's a ground ball that goes to Stanky. The throw to first base. Doby is out. A sharp ground ball. Stanky moved over into the hole between second and first. And here's Lou Boudreau. You probably can sense through your radio loudspeakers that this is not only the most enthusiastic crowd of the series, but also the largest. Boudreau has three hits. 15 times at bat. He's a right-hander, and the first pitch is outside, ball one. Incidentally, these two are both from Illinois. Nell Spotter is from Mount Morris in the eastern part of the state, and Lewis from Harvey. Foul ball. That goes back into the stands, and the count is one and one. There are 789 members of the Working Press and Radio here and 137 photographers, not including the telegraphers. Here's the pitch. There's a ground foul that goes into the Boston dugout, and it was grabbed 
ball, two strikes. Unofficially, we have been told that this is the largest World Series delegation from Rio and the fourth estate. One and two the count. One out in the Cleveland first inning. The Braves three, Cleveland one. Potter pitches. There's a drive that goes back to Potter. He knocks it down, and it is an infield hit. Wicked line smash back to the box. Potter got his glove on the ball. Knocked it down between himself and second base. There was no throw attempted by Stanky, who came in and tried desperately to grab it. Joe Gordon coming up. Mitch Ludrow, who is trying to put his Indians back in the ball game, following Mitchell's standing home run, is on first base with an infield hit. The second Cleveland hit, the fifth hit of this game. Gordon has two hits and 15 trips. Batting 1-3-3. Here's the pitch. Outside, ball one. Potter has faced Cleveland before. With several ball clubs. The Red Sox, the A's, the Browns. One ball, no strike. Here it is. Side, two and nothing. The outfield is deep to the left. Rickard in left field. Mike McCormick in center. Tommy Holmes in right. The infield, Torgerson, Stanky, Dark, Elliott third, Bill McKechnie, Mel Harder doing the coaching. Butterfish, outside, three and oh. Three balls, the strikes. This game has already produced the second largest scoring total of the series. Bob Lemon won four to one. That was a five-run game. This has four. The pitch, strike called. And it's three and one. One man out on the Cleveland first inning. After singles by Holmes and Dark, Elliott blasted a mighty three-run home run, and then Dale Mitchell led off with a home run on the second pitch. Here it comes. Ball four. Two men on. Boudreaux goes to second base. Gordon on first. And Ken Kellner comes up. That, by the way, is the eighth base on balls given the Indians in this series. Salkel was just out having a chat with Potter. Eddie Stanky came in to say something to him and goes back to his position. Spawn and Barrett continue to warm up. <laughs> Kellner has one hit in 14 trips. Swing and a miss. Potter threw a screwball, which is his specialty. That acts like a left-handed curveball. One strike to count. The outfield set to the left. Here it is. There's a high foul out of play. That came back up over our heads in the count of two. The Indians are trying to put their far-balling right-handed ace, Bob Burr, right back in the ball game. The Braves lead... 3-1. First thing. And the Indians have a 3-1 lead in the series. Potter stretches. He pitches. And misses the outside corner with a low-breaking pitch. One and two. Paul Harder is giving instructions to Joe Gordon at first base. Keltner stands in the box. He comes. 
Foul ball, right from the dirt. One ball, two strikes. Everyone has Marling at the good fortune of Bill Beck in his weather. We haven't had a perfect day yet in Cleveland, but we have had no rain falling during any of the games. And you wouldn't have given a nickel for the chance of each game going to a finish. One and two. Potter gets set. Here it is. There's a high foul ball. Sawkeld waits, takes it. He took it about 20 feet to the left of home plate. Number 35, Two men out. And here is Walt Judnick looking for his first series hit. Nels Potter and Bill Salkeld are having a conference out at the mound. Inadvertently, I may have mentioned Phil Macy a moment ago. Salkeld is doing the catching. Macy has a couple of blood blisters on the index finger and second finger of his left hand. Judnick is a left-hander. The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes down the first baseline. Easy chance. Torgerson gets it. Steps on first. An unassisted put out. Retires the Indians in the first inning. One run. Two hits. No errors. One base on balls. Two runners left. So at the end of one inning of play, the score is 3-1. to one. Mel Allen may have had a very fortuitous premonition a moment ago about the fireworks. As a matter of fact, and this statement is intended in no wise to reflect upon the brand of play in this series, because it has been good. As a matter of fact, defensively, it has been too good from the crowd's point of view. In some quarters, it has been characterized as dull. But I think that's always been the case, and you doubtless will agree, that a no-hit, no-run game doesn't have the thrills that a 7-6 game featured by a mistake or two defensively and a couple of long balls has as far as the crowd is concerned. And it is fitting, then, that in this game, the fifth of the series, attended by the largest crowd in World Series history, I think that statement will be borne out when they've counted the house, because the standing room is completely sold out today, and that was not the case in previous contests. It is fitting that this game should start off with a bang. Center fielder Mike McCormick of the Braves is up with four hits in 14 trips and a batting average of 286. He's a right-hander. He once was with the Reds. Feller pitches. Curveball, strike one. That's Feller's big curveball, the one with a wide-breaking hook. The count is strike one. McCormick sets himself in the box. He's standing straight away. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Feller broke off that big curveball, and it was right down in the dirt. A pitch which if McCormick had known about it in advance, he would have stayed away from. The count is strike two. The outfield is set just a bit to the left, and the infield has moved over. Here's the windup. Feller takes a big windup. He strides. He fires one. There's a ground ball. It goes to Keltner. He bobbles it for an error. McCormick reaching, and no throw is made. 
Ground ball down the third baseline. And it is an error for third baseman Ken Keltner. That's the second Cleveland misplay of the series, by the way. Defensively, they've had a wide edge over the Braves with five double plays to two. And until then, one error to six. Eddie Stanky, the batter. Third baseman Ken Keltner is in at the cutout left-hand side of the infield in the event of a bunt. And, of course, Eddie Robinson, as expected, is trying to hold McCormick close. Here's the pitch. There goes a high foul ball that will be out of play. Keltner goes over. No chance. And it goes into the stands to the left of the Braves' dugout. Stanky is batting 300 in this series. I believe we're correct in assuming that this will be the largest crowd of the series. And there seems little question about the fact that this is the largest crowd in World Series history. One strike. Feller takes his stretch. Here's the pitch. Outside, there's a pickoff throw. Safe at first is McCormick. And the count is one and one. A gentleman from whom you will hear shortly is my authority for an estimate of 83,000. And he's highly familiar with Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And you're highly familiar with him. One ball, one strike to count. Feller delivers. Curveball high. Two and one. Stanky holds the all-time National League record for bases on balls in a single season's play. As you know, on the 8th of July, he sustained a very serious ankle fracture. Was about for a couple of months on a walking cast. During that time, he was a radio broadcaster and a newspaper writer as well. Two and one the count. The pitch, low. No, it was foul-tipped. It was a low pitch, and umpire George Barr indicated that it just tipped the bat as Stanky tried to get it out of the way. The pitch, however, was down below the strike zone, but Stanky had started to go for it, held his swing, and it tipped the bat. Two and two the count. Boston leading by a score of 3-1. McCormick leads off. The pitch, foul ball, out of play. That's a souvenir for the upper deck. And with that same break of good luck that has attended the ventures of Mr. Beck and Mr. Greenberg in this series, the sun is beginning to appear again for the third straight day. The outfield is set to the right. Two and two the count. Stanky sets himself. Here it is. There's a solid hit to center field. Dobie back. Takes it. That ball was well tagged. A high drive towards the 380-foot mark. With the exception of one time yesterday when he slipped for an instant on the slippery footing, Dobie has performed magnificently out in center field. One man out. Stanky out, McCormick on first. And the young fellow stepping up to the batter's box now, Nelson Potter, from Mount Morris, Illinois, is one of the best-hitting pitchers in baseball history. And that is for sure. One man out. Nell swings left-handed. Here's the pitch. Fastball high. One ball. Nell says he doesn't know anything about whether or not he's not supposed to hit as well against left-handers as against right-handers. But he does. 
He doesn't try to slug the ball. He simply concentrates scientifically on trying to meet it. Feller takes his stretch. There's a throw to first base. And out in the Cleveland bullpen, Sam Zoldak is loosening up. That's the second time he's been called into operation. This time, I suspect, it's for precautionary purposes. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. That was Feller's fastball. And the count is one and one. The last time Potter pitched here at Cleveland Municipal Stadium was in late May. He told me the horse had already been stolen when Mr. Mack sent him out on the mound, but he pitched four scoreless innings as a reliever against the Indians. He's been with three ball clubs this year, and his most notable performance occurred in September at Shide Park, Philadelphia, when following a triple and two intentional bases on balls in the 12th inning, he struck out two batters, forced the third to pop up, and gained credit for the win. One and one the count. Feller pitches. Strike called. He fired a fastball that caught the outside corner. One ball, two strikes the count. Bob added a slider to his delivery this year, but the most recent reports were that he had abandoned it to concentrate on his fastball, his curveball, and his God-given talent. One and two the count. Here it comes. Swing and a foul tip right into Hegan's glove for strike three. Feller bore down. Potter swung, knowing it was in. Bobby should be out of the inning. But the error has prolonged it. And Tommy Holmes comes up. Tommy started the fireworks in the first inning by lining a single into right field. He now has two hits and 17 trips. He scored the first run in this game. The Braves are still leading by a 3-1 score. And home runs by Bob Elliott and Dale Mitchell have accounted for the quartet of tallies. The outfield straight away. Here's the pitch. Strike call, curveball. Holmes is one of the most difficult batters in all of baseball to strike out. One year, he was the top National Leaguer in that respect. One strike to count. Two men out. The base runner is Mike McCormick, who reached on Keltner's bobble. Here it comes. There's a slow roller down the first baseline. Robinson takes it, retreats to first, steps on it for the unassisted putout, and the Braves have scored no runs, no hits, one error, and one left. Boston leads by a score of 3 to 1. It's a magnificent crowd, and the game has so far produced some fireworks. Eddie Robinson is the first batter for Cleveland. And the first pitch is a swing and a miss as Potter threw him a hook. One strike. As you guessed, Hank was my authority for that 83,000 estimate. I simply wanted you to hear a confirmation from his own lips. Potter gets set, fires one. Outside, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. Mel Allen has just come back in after counting the house. Here's the pitch. Inside, and the count is two and one. I suspect, Mel, that the crowd is just as excited as the noise would indicate. Tremendously so, Jim. They still expect to see plenty of fireworks more for this football game. Two balls, one strike to count. And there is ball three, low inside. Bob Keeley, the batting practice catcher of the Boston Braves, is taking off his jacket in anticipation 
of a possible warm-up sign from Billy Southworth. The count is 3-1. and one. The score is 3-1 to one in favor of the Braves. Potter pitches. Swing and a miss. He fired a fast curveball that broke down low, and the count is 3-2. and two. Three balls, two strikes the count. Here it comes. There goes a fly ball to center field. Mike McCormick under it. Takes it. Easy chance. That is one man out, and that chops Eddie Robinson down to four hits in 13 trips. Here's Jim Hegan. Jim has two hits in 11 trips. You understand, of course, that with very few exceptions, notably Larry Doby and Earl Torgerson, very few of these players have been hitting up to their usual form, but Hegan's defensive play has been magnificent back of the plate. He's a big right-hander, and the first pitch is outside for ball one. One ball, no strikes. Here it comes. High ball two. Two and oh. In the event you just joined our broadcast network. Two balls, no strikes. The outfield is set to the left. There's a ground ball that goes down the third baseline. Elliott has it. The throw in time. And Hegan goes out, third to first. Bob Feller has just been announced. Two men out and Bob Feller up. Feller has no hits in two trips. Ball one outside. Potter threw a curveball. And now the sun has come out very brightly, and it is beginning to resemble a perfect day. There goes the ground ball to shortstop. A quick throw, and Feller goes out, dark to first. So there's a one, two, three inning for the Cleveland Indians. No runs, no hits, no errors, none left. And at the end of two innings of play, the score is three to one in favor of Boston. Now we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WOR New York, the mutual station that brings you the World Series and other top sports events the year round. Going into the first half of the third inning, the Boston Braves will send up Dark, Torgerson, and Elliott. Incidentally, I'm grateful for the information from a listener that Larry Doby lives in Patterson, New Jersey. The Cleveland Baseball Club officially lists his residence as Norwalk, Ohio. And, of course, you Patterson, New Jersey listeners, remember that Jameson, who played in the Great World Series of 1920 between Cleveland and the Brooklyn Dodgers, also hails from there. As a matter of fact, you can't blame any community for claiming a World Series participant. I remember a couple of years ago, through a typographical error, Al Shandienst of the Cardinals was listed as hailing from Germantown, Pennsylvania, and all of Germantown, Illinois, was righteously up in arms. Al Dark is the batter. He beat out a slow roller to third baseman 
Ken Kellner, his first time. He has three hits in 17 trips now. He's a right-handed batter. Feller pitches to him. And there's a slow roller to third base. Kellner gets it. Fires to first. Out. That's one hit and two trips for Dark. And Earl Torgerson comes up. Torgerson has a batting average of 400 for the series. He's a tall, husky left-hander who originally came from Earl Averill's hometown of Snohomish, Washington. He lined out to right fielder Walt Judnick his first time at bat. Feller seems to have settled down. He pitches. Strike called. Fast curveball. Boudreau hollered look out, and Keltner came in, figuring that a bunt might be pushed down the third base line. Torgerson, incidentally, is a student of base running and drag bunting. He worked hard on both during spring training. One strike. Feller pitches. There's a ground ball that goes to Robinson. He scoops it up, bobbles it, and steps on first. Nice play. He juggled the ball and never did stop running. It hit his glove, popped into the air. He grabbed it barehandedly as he raced Torgerson to the bag and beat him easily. Two men out. And Bob Elliott, who is the hero of this game so far, steps into the batter's box. He got his third hit his last time up. He has a series batting average of 200, but he has driven in four runs. He's the top run producer, and that home run smash of his was a wicked belt that went to right field. Feller winds up. Inside, curveball. Ball one. The outfield is set to the left. Billy Southworth coaching at third base and the first base coach as was the case earlier, is Johnny Cooney. The infield is a little to the left. Keltner is deep at third base. Feller delivers. Strike called. That was a curveball that caught the outside corner, and the count is one and one. It takes George Barr about three seconds to say strike. He drones it out, making the gesture as he does so. One and one. Elliott uses a closed stance, pulls the ball, the pitch. There goes a drive to left field, and it is gone. A home run, 4-1. to one. lead 4-1 as Bob Elliott lined a home run just inside the 320-foot mark deep into the lower stands. He's now driven in five runs in the series and all four Braves runs in this game. They call him Mr. Team, the Braves players. One to right field and one to left field. Rickard is the batter. Foul strike. Strike one. That's baseball. Yesterday, Elliott came up three times, twice with men on second, once with a runner on first, and he couldn't buy a base hit. Today, he's hit two tremendous home runs and has driven in all four Boston runs to send the Braves four to one ahead. Two men out, the pitch. Rickard hits a ground ball that goes to Eddie Robinson. Robinson flips to Feller. Feller takes it, steps on the bag easily for the out. Three to one, first base to pitcher. One run for the Braves on one hit, no errors. None left. And the Braves lead 
At the end of two and a half innings, the score is Boston, four. Cleveland, one. In the words of Hank Greenberg, the modern Gillette dispenser is a whale of a convenience, as you probably heard him say earlier. Men, you just push with your thumb and zip. There's a blade unwrapped ready for use. You save time, save bother. Change blades quick as a wink with any Gillette razor. It puts 20 Gillette blue blades, 40 superb shaving edges right at your fingertips. Also, it protects them perfectly at all times. The edges don't even touch the dispenser when blades are being ejected. Yes, and listen to this. You pay no premium, only 98 cents, regular price of the blades alone. Enjoy extra shaving convenience at no extra cost. Buy a Gillette dispenser. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Well, Cleveland now will have its second look at Nelson Potter. The team has batted around, and Dale Mitchell, who homered in the first, is up. He's a left-hander, and the first pitch is low, ball one. Mitchell has three hits and 17 trips. His home run was to right center field. Strike called, fastball, and the count is one and one. Mitchell's home run was at the 380-foot mark. Elliott's was over the 365-foot mark the first time, and the 320 and left the second. Here's the pitch. There's a drive to left field, and it is taken as Rickert falls. It was a nice catch by Rickert. He misjudged the ball a bit. It was a hard, sinking line drive. And as he tried for a shoestring, not a running shoestring, he dropped to both knees, fell forward on his face, but the third base umpire, Bill Grieve, went out and ruled that it was an out. One man out, and Larry Doby comes up. He has five out of 15 in the series. A left-hander, ball one outside. One ball, no strikes. Strike, call, curveball, one and one. There's a ground ball down the first baseline. Torgerson scoops it up, flips, and Potter gets him. Doby was sprinting as hard as he could go down the first baseline. Torgerson made the play about 30 feet beyond first base and flipped it to Potter, who took it on the dead run just in front of Doby. That play, if you're scoring it, is three to one. First baseman to pitcher, Torgerson to Potter. There are two men out, and Lou Boudreau, the Cleveland manager, comes up. He has four out of 16 for a 250 mark. He lined a single off Potter's gloved hand his last time at bat. Potter now has retired seven consecutive Indians, and the Braves lead 4-1. He delivers. Strike call, curveball outside. Boudreaux was in no position to swing then. He apparently had made up his mind to take the first one and was holding his bat loosely. The wind-up. Outside. Fastball, and the count is one and one. Potter's favorite pitch is the screwball. Satchel Page is warming up for Cleveland. One and one the count. That one knocked Boudreaux down. An inside pitch for ball two, two and one. The outfield is set to the left. There are two Clevelanders out in the third inning. 
Here's the windup. There's a ground ball to third base. One hop. Elliott throws over to first base, and Boudreaux is out on Torgerson's stretch to retire the side. Third to first. And Potter has retired eight straight Indians. No runs, no hits, no errors, none left. And the totals at the end of three innings of play. Boston, four runs, four hits. Cleveland, one run, two hits, one error. The Indians have left two men on base, and the Braves have left only one. Everywhere you look, or nearly everywhere you look, it would seem, here at Cleveland, there are wandering troubadours, musicians whose responsibility is to keep the crowd entertained while the warm-ups are going on in between innings. Feller is out on the mound, and I note that Satchel Page is still warming up out in the right field bullpen. First up for the Boston Braves in the fourth inning will be catcher Bill Salkeld of Los Angeles, who has one hit in four trips. Southworth and Cooney are doing the coaching. And while it's far too early to speculate, since this is only the first half of the fourth inning of a game that has equaled the previous run total of five, you may be interested in recalling what Billy Southworth told the press before the game. He gave them tomorrow's pitching nominee, which reflected confidence. Salkeld fly to center field his first time. The outfield is set to the right. Feller winds up. Here it comes. A fastball low. Ball one. A magnificent crowd is watching this fifth game of the 1948 World Series. Feller takes a big windup. He strides, pitches, inside, curveball. Two balls, no strikes. Around Cleveland Municipal Stadium, there is quite a wide running track. Satchel Page is still warming up for Cleveland. The disposition of the outfield is to the right. The right side of the infield is deep. Salkeld is a pull hitter. He has had just one hit in this series. Here it comes. Strike called. Feller threw a fastball, and the count is two and one. A little while ago, although you couldn't hear him deliver the information, Hank Greenberg told me that Feller has abandoned his slider and is concentrating on fastballs, curveballs, change-ups. He's getting a sign from Jim Hegan. Hegan is catching in a crouch. The wind-up. Strike call. Curveball that caught the inside corner. He slowed up just a little. It was not a slow curveball, but it was a change-up. And the count is two and two. He reduced the speed of the pitch slightly, threw it over the inside corner, and Salkeld let it ride. Salkeld, McCormick, and Stanky will bat in this frame. Here's the pitch. There goes a high fly ball to short right field. Gordon back under it, calling for it. He takes it. That ball stayed up a while. Gordon, incidentally, has been all over the second base territory. And occasionally, once at least... He made a catch out in left field, left center field. Mike McCormick, the batter. Mike has four hits in 15 times at bat. He reached on an error by Ken Keltner in the second inning, but then Feller bore down to retire Stanky, Potter, and Holmes. The Braves lead 4-1. Elliott's driven in all the runs with two home runs.
Strike called. Feller fired a fast curveball that caught the outside corner. He has a couple of different curveballs, and one of them has a tremendous break. They call that Feller's big curveball. He winds up. Pitches. There's a drive to right field. A sinker right to Judnick. Walt was perfectly positioned. Mike McCormick lines out to right field. That was a ball that was similar to the one hit by Torgerson in the first inning. Both well hit, but they held up long enough for Judnick to make the catch. Eddie Stanky, the batter. Stanky has three hits in 11 trips. His failure to hit when he flied out in the second inning dropped him just below the 300 mark. The outfield a little to the right. The pitch outside, ball one. Tommy Holmes is coming out into the on-deck circle. The Braves don't have very many occupants of the bullpen today. There are only three of the Braves out there. Here's the wind-up. Fastball, low inside, two and nothing. And Satchel Page continues to warm up. He has more deliveries than any pitcher I've ever seen. He throws the ball in just about every possible way, except left-handed. Here's the pitch. Ball three outside. Three and nothing. Eddie Stanky wears a protective batting cap. And the bat boy, Greek Chronopolis of the Boston Braves, has just brought his regular baseball cap out so that if he does get on base, he'll probably switch. Three and oh. Here it comes. Strike call, fastball, and the count is three and one on Stanky. There are two men out in the fourth inning. Mr. Elliott has been public enemy number one today as far as rapid Robert Feller is concerned. He's driven in four runs, five in the series. Here it comes. Ball four. That is the first base on balls given up by Bob Feller. Nels Potter is coming out. He gets a bat. Stanky didn't bother to take his protective cap. He waved the bat boy away, and the young man is going back to the dugout with it. Potter struck out his first time at bat. He had a season's batting average, by the way, of 379. That was with the Boston Braves, and he's a good hitter, despite the strikeout. Feller delivers. Swing and a miss. Potter almost went down that time. He took about as hard a cut as he normally does. Went down on one knee. The count, one strike. Stanky on first base. Two men out in the Boston Braves' fourth inning. And for the first time, the Braves have gone into high gear. And they have a four-to-one lead. The stretch by Feller, the pitch. Curveball high, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. The outfield is set to the left. Here it comes. There's a ground ball. It goes to first base and into right field for a base hit. That went by Joe Gordon. Robinson ran over to first base in anticipation of the fact that Gordon would do the covering, but it was in the hole, and Gordon couldn't field it. 
So Potter has a hit. One hit and two trips in the series. There are runners on first and second, two men out. And Mr. Potter is living up to his press notices as a hitter. Stanky on second base, Potter on first base, and the right fielder of the Boston Braves, Tommy Holmes, is up. He singled and scored a run ahead of Elliott, who homered in the first inning and grounded to first in the second. Here it comes. There's a ground foul. Strike one. And it was fielded down the first baseline by first base coach Mel Harder. Or by first base coach Johnny Cooney. Johnny threw the ball out. Apparently it was scuffed up a little. A new one is in play. It's being rubbed up by pitcher Bob Feller. The outfield is just about straight away. Holmes is capable of hitting alike to left, center, and right. He's had two hits. One was to right field, and the first one that won the first game was down the third baseline, you'll recall. Feller pitches. Low. One and one. One ball, one strike. Boudreaux is standing over about 15 feet to the left of second base. And you'll recall they've tried two pickoffs. They've succeeded in one. Feller missed another. One and one. The pitch. Low, a fastball. And the count is two and one. The Braves have runners on first and second. Satchel Page continues to warm up. Boudreaux did not give him the signal. He had been warming up, you'll recall, in inning previous. Two and one. Feller goes into that crouch. Now he takes his stretch. Pitches. And there's a drive to left field. And Mitchell grabs it. Nice catch. That ball was well hit. He came in on the dead run, took it. And there are no Braves runs in the fourth inning. One hit, no errors, one walk, two runners left. And at the end of three and a half innings of play, the score is Boston, four, Cleveland, one. The loyalty of fans for the hometown team, as shown here in Cleveland, is the making of baseball. Well, Gillette has a host of staunch rooters, too. Like some of you men who still use the first Gillette razor you bought years ago. I know, that razor seems like an old friend. But we're living in a streamlined age. So why not get an ultra-modern razor, the Gillette Super Speed, that permits instant blade changing? The improved Gillette Super Speed razor has a notched positioning bar, specially designed for use with the Gillette Blue Blade Dispenser. Hook on a blade and presto, it drops in place. Yes, twist, the razor opens, zip, it's loaded, then twist again, and man, what shaves you get. Ask for the improved Gillette Super Speed razor set, with 10-blade Gillette Dispenser, $1.50 value for only a dollar. The Braves have four runs and five hits. And they are within three hits of the top single-game total. The two teams, when Lemon defeated Boston 4-1, got eight hits each. Joe Gordon, the great Cleveland second baseman, comes up. He got a base on balls his last time. He has been one of two Cleveland base runners left stranded in this game. And Nels Potter, Nelly, his mates call him, gets ready to throw the first one. Here it comes. Strike called. Curveball. One strike to count. Here's the windup. There's a drive down the left field line. It's in there. At least a base hit. Rickard throws it into second base to hold Gordon to a single. A line drive for Gordon's 
third hit of the series, and Kellner comes up. Kellner has one hit at 15 trips. Kellner fouled out to catcher Bill Salkeld his last time at bat. Here it is. Strike called. Kellner started a swing, then decided to change his mind about it. Satchel Page has finished his warm-up, and Sam Zoldak, a left-hander, has just been given the sign from the Cleveland dugout. The pitch, low. That was a sharp breaking curveball, and the count is one and one. Potter's stocking trade is a screwball, which he throws with a motion, exactly the reverse of that of the regular right-handed curveball. One ball, one strike. Low, ball two, two and one. Mel Allen has been checking the records, and that single in the left field was Joe Gordon's two dozen, his 24th World Series hit, which is a great record. There's a throw to first base, but Gordon was right on the bag, and he turned and he did a little bit of barbering with Bill Summers. This is Gordon's sixth World Series. The pitch, outside. Three and one. Out in left field, Red Barrett is warming up, along with Warren Spawn for the Boston Braves. The second time they've been in operation. In the first inning, which was Potter's roughest so far, after Mitchell's home run, Boudreaux's single, Gordon's walk, they warmed up, but he retired the side. The Braves lead 4-1. Here it comes. Ball four. That's the second base on balls, given up by Potter. And it is the ninth for Cleveland in the series. So the tying run comes up to bat. The tying run at the plate in the person of Walter Judnick. Bob Elliott comes over to the mound. Not all the way over. He stopped and gave a word of reassurance and encouragement to the pitcher. Al Dark came in a bit. And in the meantime, both Spawn and Barrett are bearing down. And Sam Zoldak continues to warm up for the Cleveland Indians. Mr. Boudreaux is obviously thinking of a pinch hitter. Even at this stage of the game, if the circumstances warrant. Here's the pitch to Judnick. Swing and a miss. Screwball. One strike to count. Judnick grounded to first base. And if you believe in such a thing as the law of percentage, Judnick has no hits in 11 trips in this series. Here's the pitch. Low, one and one. Potter is pitching with all the poise and calmness that bespeaks his experience. He so far has allowed three hits, singles by Boudreaux and Gordon and Mitchell's home run. He throws it, and he moves Judnick out of there with a fastball inside for a two-and-one count. This is the second time in the game that Potter has lost his control, at least temporarily. The outfield is set to the right, and this huge crowd of about 83,000 is just waiting for some reason to break loose. Cleveland trails one to four. Potter stretches, pitches, and there goes a broken down fly ball to left field. It's a base hit that goes out over second. A run is coming in. The throw goes to second. It's 4-2. Runners on first and third. 
A broken bat, single, that went just to the left of second base. Al Dark raced out frantically, tried to make the catch, and for a split fraction of an instant, it looked as though he might get there. But the ball was over his head. The bat broke, and Cleveland trails now two to four. And the Indians have a roaring rally going with Eddie Robinson up. There is no one out. There goes a fly ball, a little looping drive taken by Dark. No double play possible, both runners held. That was almost exactly the same kind of a drive, but Dark went out on the edge of the grass in short left field, made a frantic dive, and got it. Runners are still on first and third. It looks very much from here as though the Indians are not swinging as hard in this inning as they have been heretofore. Both Gordon and Judnick, as well as Robinson, appear to be trying simply to meet the ball. Jim Hegan, the catcher, is the batter. He grounded to third his last time. Runners on first and third. One out. Potter pitches. There goes a long drive to left field. It's a home run. signaling to the bullpen, all off, all off, and Zoldak sits down. That gives Feller the opportunity to stay in the ballgame and shoot for his first World Series victory. Had Hegan failed to deliver, short of a double play, Feller would have been lifted. The new pitcher, lefty Warren Spawn, and he's coming in to pitch to Bob Feller. Cleveland out in front. This game, after only two previous home runs, has already produced four of them. Two by Elliott, who has driven in all four Boston runs. One by Mitchell, with the bases empty. One by Jim Hegan, with two men on. And this four-run rally has put the Indians out in front, five to four. Potter went three and a third innings, allowed five runs... Five hits, walked two, struck out none. He got by the Indians handsomely. As a matter of fact, in pitching to the first 12 men, he yielded only two hits. Mitchell's home run and Boudreaux's single. Now as Warren Spahn warms up with Cleveland leading 5-4 to four in the last half of the fourth inning, we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Your dial is set at 710, the spot for sports all year round. Your World Series station, WOR, New York. One man out. Bob Feller will be the batter. Feller grounded to shortstop his last time at bat 
And the new pitcher, Lefty Warren Spawn. Spawn has made one previous start in the series, you'll recall. And he was beaten by Bob Lemon. He lasted only four and a third innings. And he yielded three Cleveland runs. Feller, the batter. Big left, big right-handed batter. Here's the pitch. And it's a strike call. Fastball. Spawn allowed three runs to Cleveland. Six hits. All three runs were earned. Gave two walks. Struck out one. Outside. And the count is one and one. So Cleveland is out in front again in the run-scoring game of the series. Here's the windup. And that one is inside. The count is two balls and one strike. Prior to today, only 11 runs had been scored in the series. And in this game so far, we have seen nine, all of them earned. Cleveland leading 5-4. Spawn delivers. Low. Three and one. Red Barrett is still warming up for the Braves. The fireworks were held in reserve for this biggest crowd. Here's the pitch. And it's three and two. Feller stepped way up forward in the right-hand batter's box and let that one go by. Three balls, two strikes to count. Here's the payoff pitch coming in. There's a ground ball back to the mound. Spawn takes it. There's the throw to first baseman Torgerson for the out. Feller goes out on a three and two pitch. And Dale Mitchell, left-handed hitting left fielder, comes up. He has three hits in 18 trips. Larry Doby is the on-deck batter. The Indians in this inning cashed in a single by Gordon, a walk to Keltner, a single by Judnick, and Hegan's home run for four runs. Spawn delivers, and he brushes the batter back with ball one. Fastball thrown inside. Four home runs in this ball game have accounted for every run but one. Here's the pitch. Fastball inside, and the count is two and nothing. Spawn's trouble this year, the weakness that reduced his effectiveness below last year's, has been wildness. He admits that he hasn't been able to find the plate as before. Here it comes. Ball three, low, three and nothing. The outfield is set to the left. Despite the fact that Mitchell is a left-handed batter. The infield, deep at first and second. Here's the pitch. Ball four. That was a fastball low. And that's the third Cleveland walk of the game. And the tenth Cleveland walk of the series. And it brings up Larry Doby, another left-hander. Doby is the eighth man to bat in this inning. I believe this is the uh, biggest inning of the series so far from point of view of number of batters. Cleveland had seven men up once before. There's a throw to first base, but there's no pickoff. This is the biggest inning in runs scored, and it's the first inning in which an eighth man has been in the batter's box. 
Outside. One ball, no strikes. The Braves had six men up today in their three-run first inning when Elliott hit his first of two home runs. Spawn takes a stretch. Here's the pitch. Strike call. That was a slow curveball that caught the outside corner. Bill McKechnie is coaching at third base. Incidentally, Bill's son, who is a radio broadcaster in Pennsylvania, is here today. He was chatting with his dad just before the contest got underway. The outfield is set to the right. Mitchell on first base, taking a short lead. Spawn stretches, throws to first. The tag was late. Mitchell is being very cautious because the word about Spawn's pickoff ability is well known. Here it comes. Foul tip. One ball, strike two. Dovey was swinging hard on a sharp breaking curveball that broke low. The outfield is just a little to the right of straightaway. It was Dobie who hit the series' first home run yesterday. And that, incidentally, was one of the longest blows of all of them. He steps out, getting something out of his eye. Red Barber. Red Barrett, rather. Red Barber is our next-door neighbor down the line. Red Barrett is still warming up. The pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. That was a fastball that came right down the alley. And that is the first Cleveland strikeout of the game in the 14th of the series. Four big Cleveland runs. Three hits. No errors. One base on balls. Two bases on balls. One off Potter. One off Spawn. And one runner left. The totals at the end of four innings. Cleveland, five runs, five hits, one error, three left. The Braves, four runs, five hits, no errors, and three left. Every Friday night is fight night on the air. If you have rosin in your veins and what man hasn't, tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports. Enjoy the major boxing event of the week blow by blow. Consult your daily newspaper for time and station. Al Dark, Earl Torgerson, and Bob Elliott will be the batters. And I sort of suspect, Mel, that by the time Mr. Elliott comes up, the men in typewriter row will be scrambling through those record books, don't you believe? Well, I think perhaps uh, they will be, Jim, although, as you know, as most baseball fans know, Babe Ruth is the only guy that ever hit three in a World Series, and everybody will be wondering whether Mr. Elliott can do the same. In the meantime, Al Dark will be the leadoff batter for the Braves in the fifth inning. He beat out a slow roller to third base and scored the second Boston run in the first. He has three hits in 18 trips. He's a right-handed batter standing straight away. Bob Feller, who was given a reprieve, gets ready to pitch and throws one inside for ball one. And I mean that reprieve literally because Feller was slated to leave the ball game. Until Jim Hegan put Cleveland out in front 5-4 to four with his home run. The outfield straight away. Feller winds up, pitches. Fastball outside. Two and nothing. Third baseman Ken Keltner is playing just about five feet back of third base. Billy Southworth and Johnny Cooney are doing the coaching. 
Jim Hegan crouches low. He's given his battery mate, Bob Feller, a life, and Feller's trying to cash it in. Here it comes. There goes the drive to center field. Not too well hit. Dobie's there, and he takes it. One man out. Dark goes out on a fly ball to center fielder Larry Dobie to open the fifth inning, and Earl Torgerson comes up. Torgerson has four hits in 11 trips. He's batting 364 in the series. The outfield moves around to the right for him. He has plenty of power. The first ball he hit was a wicked line drive, and Judnick caught it well out in right field. Feller takes a big windup, delivers. Curveball inside, ball one. Torgerson stepped away. Ken Keltner, with left-handed Earl Torgerson up, is playing in on the edge of the grass. Just a step or two. One ball, no strikes. Cleveland, five, Boston, four. High ball, two. Two and nothing. One man out. A huge scoreboard directly out in center field. And this is a magnificent World Series setting. Doubtless the largest World Series crowd in history. Feller takes a full windup. He delivers a fast call strike. Two and one. Over to our left and to our right, batteries of newsreel cameras preserving on film the historic story of the 1948 World Series. Torgerson grips his bat right down at the handle end. He sets himself for the pitch. Here it comes. And there goes a fly ball to left field. Well tagged, but Mitchell is back. He's waiting. And he takes it. That ball at Braves Field would have been a home run. A long fly ball to left taken at the 345-foot mark. And here is Elliott up. Even the Cleveland fans, sporting fans, recognize greatness, and they realize that Elliott has hit two consecutive home runs to drive in all four of the Boston runs. He also is the top run producer of the series with five RBI. And there's an unasked question on every lip. Here's the pitch. There's a high foul ball coming back up here. And the count is one strike. For an instant, a fleeting instant, that looked like our first souvenir. One strike the count. Two men out in the fifth inning. Feller has retired three men in a row on outfield flies. Holmes flied to left to end the fourth inning. And Dark and Torgerson have flied successively to center and left in this frame. Elliott has a closed stance. Feller is pitching very carefully to him. Here comes the pitch. Strike call. Curveball. Bob turns around, asks a question of George Barr, the umpire, and then nods his head in agreement. He might have said that was a pretty good pitch, wasn't it? Two strikes the count. Cleveland leading the Braves. Five to four in the first half of the fifth inning. Here comes the two-strike pitch. He throws it. Inside. Feller shooting for a strikeout. Missed the inside corner. Elliott pulled away from it. And then he circled and is going back into the box, rubbing some dirt into his hands. Very, very few men in World Series history have hit two home runs. 
Elliott has hit two successive home runs in the first and third to two different fields. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. He pulled the string and threw a slow curve ball and struck Elliott out. That's Feller's third strikeout. And at the end of four and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland five, Boston four. And now, for the balance of the game, my colleague, who a little earlier hinted at the possibility of pyrotechnics, fireworks, Mel, we've had them. So here is Mel Allen. Hello there, everybody. Again, Lou Boudreaux. Right hand hitter up. Warren Spahn, the left hander, throws. Lou takes, and it's low inside for ball one as we come to the last half of the fifth inning with the Indians out in front of the Braves by a score of five to four. Lou had an infield hit in the first inning, grounded out to third in the third. Looks at an outside fastball for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Fifth game of the World Series with the Indians. Three games to one over the Braves and needing this one to end the fall classic. Warren Spahn, the reliever, into the wind-up round comes the left arm. Here's his pitch. It's swung on. It's a ground ball hit the third. Up with it is Elliott. He goes to his left. There's a throw over to Torgerson in time. And Boudreaux is out at first. Tossed out by Bob Elliott. And out of the plate steps Joe Gordon. Joe walked in the first inning. Single to left in the fourth. Right-hand hitter. Outfield plays him to pull. They move around toward left. Infield shades around toward third. Warren Spahn working rapidly. Here's his pitch. Joe Gordon takes a fastball in there for a call strike. Bill McKechnie coaching at third base. Mel Harder at first. Eddie Stanky, the second baseman, laying a stride to the right at second, very deep. Warren Spahn throws. Joe Gordon takes this one low inside. Evens up the count now at one and one. Five before the score, favor of Cleveland. Boston Braves were ahead four to one until Jim Higgins slapped out that homer in the fourth inning. The two men on to send the Indians ahead by one run. Now the pitch to Gordon. High outside, ball two, two and one. Joe batting a thousand on the day. Walked once, singled once. One down, nobody on. You got Kenny Keltner on deck. Warren Spahn working rapidly. He's all set to come in with it. He throws. The pitch is swung on line. Foul down the left field line. Ball bouncing out of the Braves' bullpen out in the left field where Marv Rickard retrieves the ball and tosses it over to Joe Paparella, the American League, the alternate umpire who's stationed down the line. Two balls, two strikes to count on Joe Gordon. Warren Spahn looks in to get the sign from Bill Salkell. He's ready. Gordon set at the plate. Here's the 2-2 pitch. It's swung on line right to Bob Elliott at third for out number two. Gordon hit that one right on the nose, but right at Bob Elliott. So there are two down, and now Kenny Keltner coming up. Kenny fouled out to the Braves backstop, Bill Sonkel in the first inning, and then walked in the fourth. That's him right-handed. Outfield plays Keltner to pull very sharply. Warren spun into his wind-up, throws, fastball, it's high, ball one. Keltner hasn't done too much in the hitting department for the Indians in this series. Very few have. Kenny, as a matter of fact, has had only one hit, which is below par for him. Spahn's delivery is swung on and missed. Strike one, one and one. Keltner's had a great year. 
His home run band has been most active for the Indians during the course of the regular season. One ball, one strike. Left-hander Warren Spahn delivers. Keltner swings and fouls it back to the screen. Strike two. One ball, two strikes to count. Two men down. It's the last half of the fifth inning. Fifth game of the 1948 World Series. And it could be the last game if the Indians maintain their current advantage of 5-4. to four. The Braves are hopeful of sending it back to the banks of the Charles, however. Warren Spahn throws. Keltner swings, pops it up into the air behind the plate. Saw Cal coming back for the ball, but it looks like it's going to be out of play, and it is as it lands on the screen. Walter Judnick's in the batter's circle. Be the next hitter in the event Keltner gets on. The early part of today's game certainly was productive. More productive of offensive fireworks than the entire series up until today. Warren Spahn swoops down low as he starts into the windup. Now the pitch. Keltner swings and sends a drive to deep left center. There's Mike McCormick going back deep and left center under it, and he makes the catch for the out. Right in front of the 380-foot sign. The ball traveled about 375 feet. Came close to being all the way. So the Indians are out on order in the last half of the fifth inning. No runs, no hits, no errors for the Braves. Nobody left on for Cleveland. And the score and the totals at the end of five innings of play. Cleveland, five runs, five hits, one error, three left on. For the Boston Braves, four runs, five hits, no errors, and three men left on. For your late tuners in, the Braves got three runs in the first inning when Holmes and Dark singled and Elliott homered. The Indians got one run in the last of the first inning when Mitchell homered. Then the Braves went ahead 4-1 to one in the third inning when Bob Elliott hit his second consecutive homer. This has been a great day for the long-distance clouds. And then in the last half of the fourth inning, trailing 4-1, to one, the Indians went to town. Joe Gordon singled, Kenny Keltner walked, Judnick singled to score Gordon, and then with one out, Jimmy Hegan hit Nelson Potter's first pitch into the left field seats scoring Keltner and Judnick ahead of him and putting the Indians out in front by a score of 5-4, to four, sending Potter out of the ball game and bringing on Warren Spahn. Bobby Feller received a reprieve, as Jim Britt told you, as a result of Hegan's homer because Zoldak was warming up and Lou Boudreau was going, going to inject a pinch hitter for Bobby Feller in the last half of the fourth inning had not Hegan homered. So it's 5-4 to four in favor of Cleveland. As we go to the top half of the sixth inning, and Marv Rickard, a left-hand hitter, stepping in. Bobby Feller on the hill, a right-hander. Outfield playing Rickard to pull toward right, of course. Here's the pitch. Rickard takes fastball in there for a call strike. Kenny Keltner's laying about 10 feet, 12 feet off the third baseline, fairly close. To be in position to move in on a possible bunt or a slow roller down the line. Lou Boudreau laying over near second and in halfway. Plays a very shallow shortstop. Bob Feller delivers. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed. Four strike to his record cut hard. Marv has had one of the home runs in this World Series. A young man that certainly never thought he'd ever be in this World Series. He's already back home in Tacoma. When the word went out to report to the Braves after Jeff Heath was injured, needed a little outfield help. On he came, and with special permission from the baseball commissioner's office and the Indians, he's out here. Now the pitch... Just misses the outside corner for a ball. 
And the count is one and two on Rickard. Rickard looked at the third call strike in the first inning and then grounded out to first baseman Eddie Robinson, who flipped the ball to Bobby Fowler, who covered first in the third inning. Five to four, favor of Cleveland, top of the sixth inning. Braves trying to strike back. Fowler into the windup, throws, curveball outside. And the count is 2-2. Two, two. Billy Southworth walking up down that third base coach's box, hollering words of encouragement up to Rickett. Johnny Cooney coaching at first base. George Barr of the National League umpiring back to the plate. Bill Summers of the American League at first. Bill Stewart of the National League at second. Billy Greve of the American League at third. Caparella of the American League, the alternate down the left field line. Finelli, National League alternate down the right field line. Now the pitch. Rickert swings and misses. The ball pops out of the mid of Hegan. He picks it up, throws down to Robinson in time for the out at first. It's a strikeout for Bobby Feller with a putout resulting Hegan to Robinson with a ball, a fastball, popped out of the mid of Jimmy Hegan after Rickard had swung and missed. That's strikeout for Bobby Feller. That's his fourth. Struck out Rickard in the first inning. Potter in the second. Elliott in the fifth, and Rickard in the sixth. And now here is Bill Saltkell, the left-hand batter. Swings the first pitch, sends a long drive going deep to right field. Jimmy going back. The ball is going, going, it's gone. Saltkell powered a long drive to deep right field. Wally Judnick slipped starting back for the ball, but it wouldn't have made any difference anyway as the ball cleared the barrier to the right of the 365-foot side into the overflow crowd and back of the wire fence. And it's a tie ball game, 5-5. And now you've got Mike McCormick coming up. Now George Barr calls time, asks for the ball, looks it over and tosses another one back out to Bobby Fowler. That's the third home run of the ball game for the Braves. Elliott's two homers drove in all four of the first four of Braves' runs, and now Salkel the fifth. Mitchell and Hegan have homered for the Indians. Five home runs in today's game. Now the pitch to Mike McCormick. Swung on a ground ball, hit back through the middle. Boudreau to his left, a big stop, a throw in time. McCormick's bid for the base hit. A grass cutter right back through the middle. Just a stride to the left of second base as you look out on the field. Lou Boudreaux scooted to his left, reached down, scooped the ball up with his gloved hand, and fired over to Eddie Robinson in time for the out. Now there's activity in the Indians' bullpen as Eddie Stanky steps to the plate. Stanky right-hand batter. Bobby Feller throws. Stanky takes outside. Fastball. Ball one. Ed Kleiman, a right-hander. And Sam Zoldak, the left-hander, throwing in the bullpen for Cleveland. It's a tie ball game, 5-5. Outfield playing Stanky just about straight away, not too deep. Every once in a while, he'll get hold of one, though. Here's the pitch. Stanky takes outside again for ball two. Stanky applied to center in the second inning, walked in the fourth. There are two men down here in the sixth inning. That was a very neat play by the Indians manager, Lou Boudreaux. Lou looks out to the outfield now, and he moves Dale Mitchell over a couple of steps toward the left field line as Feller is into the windup. In comes the pitch. Stanky takes it. 
And it is outside for ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Stanky has always had a, a great penchant for getting bases on balls. Tough man to work to. Walked his last time up. Feller's 3-0 pitch. It's over but low. Ball four. And Stanky walks. That's the second pass given up by Bobby Feller, both of them in succession to Stanky. And now coming to bat is Warren Spahn. Spahn, who came in to relieve Nelson Potter. In the fourth inning, when the Indians rallied for four runs to overcome a 4-1 Braves lead to go ahead 5-4. And now the score is tied at 5-5. And Warren Spahn, the left-hand batter up there. Bob Feller gets his sign from Jim Hegan. Stanky leads off first. Here's the pitch. Swung on it. Missed. Strike one. Looks as if that might have been a curveball that Bobby Feller threw. Spawn takes pretty pretty good cut for pitcher. Feller gets his sign. Guys ready. Throws. Pitcher swung on and missed. Strike two. Bobby Feller ahead of the hitter. No balls. Two strikes. Billy Southworth coaching back at third base. Cups his hands over his mouth. Hollers something up to the plate to Spawn. Eddie Robinson holding against Eddie Stanky. Two down, one in, top of the six. Score tied, 5-5. Fifth game of the World Series. Feller delivers, Spahn swings, grounds it foul down the first baseline. Fielded by first base coach Johnny Cooney. Ladies and gentlemen, the official paid attendance today. And get this, 86,288. Smashing all records for all time for any kind of a baseball game. Regular season or World Series. Over 86,000. Bob Feller delivers. Warren Spahn takes fastball inside. And the count is one and two. One ball, two strikes. Now the pitch. Swung on and missed. Strike three. Warren Spahn goes down, striking out. That's the fifth strikeout for Bobby Feller. For the Braves in the top of the sixth inning. One run. One hit. No errors for the Indians. One man left on for Cleveland. And at the end of five and one half innings, the score, the Braves five, the Indians five. Now, all of you fans know Bucky Walters, top-ranking pitcher for many years and now manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Tell us, Bucky, what's tops with you in the shaving league? Well, as I have said many times before... Gillette has always been my favorite razor. But what about the new super speed model you're using now? I can't imagine a more convenient razor the one that shaves as easily. My old Gillette was a honey, but this latest one is super special. Yes, man, super special is right. The improved Gillette super speed razor makes a world of difference in shaving comfort and convenience. You change blades instantly and enjoy the sweetest shaves ever. See, Bucky Walters isn't right. Buy a Gillette Super Speed Razor with a 10-blade Gillette dispenser, a regular $1.50 value, for only a dollar. And now we come into the last half of the sixth inning. It's going to be Waller Judnick leading off for the Cleveland Indians to be followed by Eddie Robinson and then Jim Hegan. And Warren Spahn, who pitched and lost the second game of the World Series to the Indians, 4-1. to Spahn being uh, removed and relieved by Barrett in the fifth inning. Delivers, and it's a curve over there for a call strike to Judnick. Judnick's a left-hand batter. 
and grounded out to first baseman Earl Torgerson in the first inning. Single to send in the fourth. The left-hander into the windup. Fires away, and the pitch is inside to Judnick. The count is evened up now at one and one. One ball, one strike. Score tied. Five and five. A day that has been productive thus far of five home runs. Big explosions today. Now the pitch is inside to Judnick. He was ready to level off on that one. The ball had him fooled. He was dug in pretty well and had trouble getting away from that. From that delivery by Warren Spahn. Two balls, one strike. The left-hander working very quickly. Here's his pitch. Judnick takes inside again for ball three. And that's the signal for some activity to commence in the Braves' bullpen. It's going to be Red Barrett who relieved Spahn in the second game of the World Series. Now the 3-1 pitch. It's over the outside corner for call strike two. Spahn took careful aim and fired that ball over the outside corner. He figured if Jennick was going to swing at it, he'd have to supply his own power. Now the payoff pitch on its way. Judnick swings and lifts a high pop-up toward first base. Torgerson comes in. He's in fair territory. And he makes the catch right at the bag, a foot inside the line. Walter Judnick pops out to Earl Torgerson. One away. Last half of the sixth inning. Score tied 5-5. Cleveland needing one victory to wrap up the World Series. The Braves desperately needing a victory to stay in it, prolong the series. Scores tied, and here's Eddie Robinson. Dangerous left-hand hitter up. Warren spawns into his windup. Round comes the left arm. The pitch. Curveballs over that inside corner. Belt high for a called strike. You've got a left-hander throwing along with Red Barrett in the Braves' bullpen. Clyde Shown. Now the pitch on its way from Spawn to Robinson's. A curve into the dirt outside. Ball one. One ball, one strike, one out. Last half the sixth inning. It's a 5-5 ball game with all the Braves' runs having resulted from homers or being propelled plateward by home runs and four of the Indians' five runs having been sent homeward as a result of homers. Now the pitch. Very high to Eddie Robinson. One of those roundhouse slow curves that stayed way upstairs. And the count on the Indians' first baseman. Two balls, one strike. Warren's fun trying to stay ahead of the hitter so he won't have to come in with anything too fat. You've got right-hander Ed Kleiman throwing the bullpen for Cleveland. Warren spun into his windup. Here's the pitch. Eddie Robinson swings and fouls it off to the left of the plate, out of play, into the upper deck. Hit that one on the handle of the bat. Bill McKechnie, coaching at third base, takes a turn and looks up into the stands to watch the folks scramble for that one. Mel Harder, coaching at first base. One down, nobody on. Eddie Robinson, the batter, the count 2-2. Warren Spahn into his windup. Here's his pitch. Eddie Robinson swings, sends a ground ball out towards second. Stanky over and back to back up with it. Flips over to Torgerson in time for the out. Nice play by Eddie. And they're two down for the Indians. And now here comes Jimmy Hegan. Jim Hegan, a boy from Lynn, Massachusetts, not far from Boston has really dealt the miseries to the boys from Boston today. A three-run homer in the last half of the fourth inning. Grounded out to third previously. Right-hand batter, Spahn throws. High, ball one. One ball, no strikes. Warren Spahn ready. And the pitch. 
Swung on. Fouled off on the ground down the third baseline. Elliott scoops it up, throws it back to... Started to throw it back to Spahn. He threw it over to uh, Dark, and Dark whipped it over to Stanky. Get a little pepper generated on the Braves' infield. One ball, one strike, two outs. Last half, sixth inning, score tied, 5-5. Dale Mitchell's driven in a run for Cleveland. Judnick's driven in one, and Hegan's driven in three. Now the pitch to Jim. Gets that outside corner beautifully for call strike two. It was a fastball. I think Hegan must have been looking for the curve. He was ready to swing. The ball didn't break in on him as he expected. Stayed outside. Got the corner. Now the one-two pitch. Here it is. Hegan swings and he misses. Strike three. And Warren Spahn turns in a very fine inning of relief pitching in the sixth. He came out in the fourth inning, as a matter of fact, and now has given up only one walk in facing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine men. Has retired seven in a row. They've just announced the attendance figures out here, and the crowd roars. And while the crowd is roaring, and they say that this is an all-time baseball crowd record, as we've already told you, let us pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You're listening to another great sporting event brought to you over WOR, your World Series station in New York. At the end of six innings of play, the Boston Braves have five runs, six hits, no errors, and four left on. Hope that checks, Jim. The Cleveland Indians, five runs, five hits, one error, and three men left on base. Five hits for the Cleveland Indians, two in the first inning and three in the fourth. And six hits for the Braves, three in the first inning, one in the third, one in the fourth, and one in the sixth. And now we're ready for the top of the seventh inning. Going into what uh, may be the final third of the ball game, perhaps the final third of the final game of the World Series, perhaps not. The trains are all set and ready to go back to Boston, and the Braves would like to uh, do something about it. About going back, the Indians would like to just uh, forget all about it. So we'll see what's going to happen now as we go into the top of the seventh. And the first pitch delivered by Bobby Feller is outside for ball one to Tommy Holmes, the leadoff man. It'll be Al Dark on deck with Earl Torgerson to follow. Lou Boudreaux has Ed Kleiman, a right-hander, and Sam Zoldak, a left-hander, throwing the bullpen in the event that Bobby Feller should falter. The right-hander into the windup fires away. Tommy Holmes takes high. Ball two. Feller was pressing a little bit in the early innings, striving for that uh, goal of all pitchers, a World Series victory. And a pitcher who has achieved the greatness that Bobby Feller has figures that's the one thing he has not yet gotten. The right-hander throws. Tommy Holmes takes it, and it's in there for a call strike, a fastball over that outside corner. Bobby Feller has uh, pitched no hitters and done just about everything else. Been a 20-game winner. He's accomplished just about everything that a pitcher could except win a World Series game. As a matter of fact, he's pitched two no-hit games and ten one-hitters in regular season play. Now the 2-1 pitch. Swung on. Drilled out in the left center field. Doby racing for it. And Mitchell, they can't get it. It's in there for a base hit. Cut off nicely on one hop by Mitchell. Whips his throw into the infield. Holding first is Tommy Holmes with a single to left center field. 
That's the seventh hit for the Boston Braves in the ball game. And now you've got Al Dark coming up. He had an infield hit in the first inning, grounded a third in the third, and flied to center in the fifth. Kenny Keltner's in on the grass looking for the bunt. Eddie Robinson on the bag at first, holding against Tommy Holmes, will be ready to break toward the plate. Lou Boudreaux ready to break for second, Gordon for first. Outfield about straight away the stretch by Feller. The pitch, Dark shortens up, takes high outside for ball one. Realizing that Dark is up there, most likely to bunt, Feller's first pitch was up high. They like to try and get a batter to bunt a high pitch because then there's always a great chance that they'll pop it in the air. So we'll watch now the stretch by Feller once again. Here's the pitch. Dark takes it, and it is inside for ball two as Bobby Feller refuses to give Al Dark even anything too good to bunt at, hoping to make him bunt it a bad ball. It's a 5-5 ball game, top half of the seventh inning. The Braves from Boston with their backs to the wall, battling to prolong the series. The Indians trying to wind her up today. Now Bob Feller's ready. Here's the pitch. Al Dark shortens up, bunts and pops it in the air, but it's out of play to the right of the plate. Wasn't high enough to permit Jim Hegan to go for it. And it uh, skittered off uh, in a hurry. So the count now on Dark is two and one. Two balls, one strike. Billy Southworth, ever on the move, walking up and down that third base coach's box. Johnny Cooney coaching at first. Al Dark has a look at Billy to see if he's still got the bunt sign on or whether he's going to change up. Fellow with the stretch. There's a throw over to first base. Tommy Holmes back in plenty of time. Eddie Robinson returns the ball now to Bobby. The Cleveland right-hander again with the stretch. Holmes moves off first. The pitch, Al Dark shortens up. Bunch beautifully down the first baseline. Robinson up for the ball. Throws to Gordon, covering first in time for the out. Going to second on the play is Tommy Holmes. And that brings to the plate now Earl Torgerson. Al Dark sacrificed is out. Robinson to Gordon. Three to four had scored. The first baseman to the second baseman. And so with one down and the potential tie-breaking run on second base. Up to the plate comes the left-handed hitting Earl Torgerson, who lined to right field in the first inning, grounded out to first baseman Eddie Robinson in the third inning, and sliced a uh, drive to left field in the fifth that Dale Mitchell took care of. So Earl Torgerson, the long ball hitter, squares away at the plate. Lou Boudreaux motions out to Dale Mitchell to come in and play a somewhat shallow left field. Now Lou's right in behind Tommy Holmes, We'll watch for the attempted pickoff play should it occur. The stretch by Feller, the pitch. Torgerson takes just outside, ball one. Earl's a good drag bunter, too. We'll try and watch for anything, because anything can happen in a World Series. First four games of this series, described by most of the writers as comparatively lackluster in so much as uh, the pitching predominated so greatly. And today it's been the hitter's paradise, the pitch. And slow curve that's over. Letter high for a called strike. One and one. I say a uh, hitter's paradise. Perhaps that's uh, ill-advised. Certainly the home run boys have been active today. There have been five blasted. I guess that's enough for any one ball game. And chances are there might be others before the nine innings have been completed. Nine, maybe more. The score is tied right now at 5-5. There's Boudreaux going in behind Tommy Holmes. And out of the batter's box stepped Torgerson, and uh, Bobby Feller stepped off the mound. I don't know whether the uh, pickoff play went askew, so to speak, or, or not. The stretch, here's the pitch. Swung on, lined out over second in the center for a base hit. Here's Tommy Holmes rounding third, digs for the plate. Doby up for the ball, his throw is cut off at second, scoring his Holmes, and the Braves are out in front 6-5. to five. 
score Tommy Holmes with a tie-breaking run. It is now 6-5 to five in favor of the Braves, and that's all for Bob Feller. He's out of the ballgame. So Bob Feller, a picture of dejection as he walks into the Cleveland dugout, denied, at least at the present time, denied the goal of every pitcher winning a World Series game. He lost a heartbreaker opening day when he spun a masterful two-hitter against the Braves, but was defeated one to nothing by Johnny Sane. It was a tough game for Bobby to lose. It was a good one for Johnny Sane to win. And so Bobby Fowler, in his second effort in this World Series, has not yet achieved victory, and thus the parallel with Waller Johnson. And Bobby, as we often have said, has been referred to as the modern, uh, uh, or modern uh, prototype of Waller Johnson, at least. And Johnson never won a ball game in a World Series until the seventh game, and then as a relief pitcher. So maybe, maybe we'll have a seventh game. Who knows? And now, coming on to do the pitching, in place of Bob Feller is Ed Kleiman, our right-hander, the ace uh, engines relief pitcher. Ed Kleiman, a right-hander. And he will face Bob Elliott, who already today has had two homers off Feller and struck out his last time up. Ed Kleiman, a six-foot, 170-pounder from Norwood, Ohio, delivers. Elliott takes a curve right over there for a call strike. Kleiman appeared in 44 ball games. The right-hander ready now. Again with the stretch, checks the runner. Torgerson leading off first. Here's your pitch. And it swung on and fouled off back behind the plate. Ball uh, hitting the mask of plate umpire George Barnes coming right on back to the screen. Speck Kleiman appeared uh, in 44 games, but only in 43 of them did he appear as a pitcher. We'll give you his record in a moment. He delivers now to Elliott. Bob takes outside. Ball one, one and two. He appeared in 43 games as relief pitcher. Worked 80 innings, allowed 62 hits, walked 47, struck out 16, won three and lost one for Cleveland the regular season. He helped the engines out tremendously. He wears glasses just as Earl Torgerson does while he plays ball. They call him Speck Kleiman. The right-hander throws. Another curve stays high. And the count is 2-2 on Bob Elliott. One run in, top half of the seventh inning. The score, the Boston Braves, six. The Cleveland Indians, five. The outfield for Elliott. Very deep, round toward left. Torgerson moves off first. Now the pitch. Elliott swings and grounds it foul off to the left of the plate. Jimmy Hegan gets a new ball from plate umpire George Barr, whips it out to the mound. This has been one of those nip-and-tuck ball games with the Braves grabbing a three-run lead in the first inning on a three-run homer by Elliott. Mitchell homered in the last of the first and was three and one. Mitchell homered in the last of the first. It was three and one. Braves added another in the third to make it four to one. Only to see the Indians come back and go ahead five four. Then the Braves tie it up at five five. Now they're ahead six to five. 
Fireman delivers. Elliott swings, sends a little dribbler foul down the third baseline, which Billy Southworth elects to receive. And he picks it up and tosses it over to Kenny Keltner. The ball is tossed out, however, as George Barr, in the meantime, has whipped a new ball out to the relief pitcher, Ed Kleiman. Bobby Feller went six and one-third innings today, during which time he gave up six, seven, eight hits. Walked two and struck out five and gave up six runs. He's also responsible for Torgerson, should Torgerson score. Eddie Kleiman ready. Here's his pitch. Elliott takes inside. Ball three, three and two. Working very carefully on the hard-hitting Braves third baseman. And you know, if you knew Bob Elliott, or anybody else for that matter, similar to Bob Elliott, you could pick out somebody on the Indians team who came up so many times with runners on bases in previous games and was unable to deliver, you knew that that couldn't keep going on. And today, Elliott broke out of it in rousing fashion. All right, we're ready for the payoff pitch. There goes the runner. The pitch is taken inside and high. Ball four. And Elliott walks. And that moves Torgerson down to second base and brings to the plate Mar Brickard. And now in the bullpen, it's Russ Christopher for the Indians, a right-hander, submarine artist warming up, along with a left-hander, Sam Zoldak. And so this ball game has been won with something happening every inning, and the excitement has been at uh, a very high pitch all the way through. Climbing with the stretch, checks the runners on first and second throws. Rickard takes high, ball one. You've got Earl Torgerson on second base. Bob Elliott on first base. One down, one run in. Top of the seventh inning, the score, the Braves six, the Indians five. They've now scored as many runs in this game as they scored in the first four combined. Here's your pitch. Swung on a ground ball, hit out, pass second. And that's going for a base hit. Rounding third is Targetson coming in to score. Racing into third is Elliott. Hits the dirt. And the ball gets away from Keltner into the Braves dugout. And Elliott is allowed to come on in to score. And Targetson is allowed to go all the way around to third base. To recap that play for you, Marv Rickard blasted a grounder down the middle. Joe Gordon flashed to his right, almost got to the ball, but couldn't quite get it. It went on through in the center for a single. That single drove in Earl Torgerson from second. Bob Elliott, who was on first, was racing toward third. Larry Doby's throw to third was outlegged by Elliott, but he hit the dirt, and as he did... He was in the way of the ball that skidded on by Keltner and rolled on in to the Braves' dugout, enabling Elliott to go all the way around the score and Rickert to go to third. Now the infield is in. We'll give you the official scoring in a moment. Saul Caldup takes a pitch outside for ball one. Rickert is credited with one run batted in. Doby is charged with an error on the throw, enabling Elliott to come in and... Torgerson on the ground rule, the ball going into the dugout to take two extra bases. And now here's Bill Salkeld up, infield in, he takes a pitch high for ball two. So there are three runs in here in the top of the seventh inning. With the Boston Braves now out in front by a score of eight to five. And perhaps they're getting the trains warmed up. Perhaps. Eddie Kleiman throws, the pitch is swung on, line foul down the first baseline. You know, that play that enabled Elliott to come on in to score is one of those plays that occurs in baseball on which an error has to be charged, and yet it seems uh, unjustified from one angle. And that is to say the throw was perfect. 
but it just happened the runner sliding was in the way of the ball. Now the pitch is outside for ball three to Salkel. You can't blame the third baseman for not feeling the ball since the runner sliding into him blocked his, the path of the ball, or the third baseman's vision. You can't blame the outfielder necessarily because the throw is perfect, yet you must score to an error on somebody and you have to give it to the thrower. Now the pitch. Salkel takes inside, ball four, and he's on. And now Lou Boudreaux calls time. And we're going to have a new pitcher, and it's going to be Russ Christopher. Salkel gets ball four. Beck Kleiman, who came on to relieve Bob Feller here in the seventh inning with one out, worked only three men, walked two of them, and allowed a base hit. Incidentally, that run that Torgerson scored is charged to Feller, so Bobby Feller has allowed seven of the eight runs the Braves have scored. And now Russ Christopher comes on, a lanky submarine uh, pitcher, a right-hander, Russ Christopher. A six-foot-four, 180-pounder, who was born in Port Richmond, California, and now lives in Philadelphia. So Russ Christopher comes on. Ed Kleiman, thus didn't work any part of an inning officially since he got no one out. He allowed one hit, walked two, didn't strike out anyone and has been charged with one run and is responsible for the two men who are now on base should either of them score or both of them and Russ Christopher comes on to do the pitching Christopher was in 45 games for the Indians this year worked 59 innings allowed 55 hits walked 28 struck out 13 won three and lost two. I don't believe the Braves saw any similar type of pitching, any submarine type of pitching this year in the National League. And so it may be that Christopher's uh, style delivery delivery might bother them for the while, although that doesn't necessarily hold, but it's possible. It often does when you haven't seen a man deliver a ball in submarine fashion. Generally, you watch it coming overhand with a three-quarter or sidearm. All right, here's Mike McCormick. First pitch to him is inside for ball one. Now, you've got Marv Rickert on third base and Bill Salkeld on first base. One out, three runs in, top of the seventh inning, eight to five, favor the Braves. Time call for a moment as Mike McCormick steps out of the batter's box. Has a little something in his eye. Billy Southworth hopes it's a base hit. Lou Boudreau hopes it's a pop-up. Or perhaps a double playground ball. In any event, Mike McCormick is back in. Russ Christopher ready. Left side of the infield is in. Here's the pitch. Swung on. It's a ground ball hit down toward uh, Keltner, but it's in foul territory as he grabs it. Streaking for the plate, of course, is Marv Rickard. There may or may not have been a play at the plate had the ball uh, remained fair, but useless to indulge in such speculation when the ball was foul. One ball, one strike, one out, two men on, three runs in, top half of the seventh inning, fifth game of the 48 World Series. The Indians leading in games three to one, needing this one to end the series. The Braves needing it to prolong it. The left side of the infield is in, as we told you, in very close. Joe Gordon's in about halfway on the right side with Robinson holding the bag. The pitch is high outside. Ball two, two and one. Russ Christopher, string bean right-hander, 
pitches with an underhand motion. They call him a submarine pitcher. Years ago, there was one in the major leagues by the name of Carl Mays. Satchel Page throwing the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians. Christopher all set. Submarines one in there that's outside. Ball three, three and one. And in the event that Russ Christopher is unable to stem the Braves' tide here in the seventh, you may see Satchel Page making uh, his World Series appearance. Something that quite a number of fans have looked forward to, including Satchel Page. Russ Christopher all set. Rickard leads off third, saw Kell off first to pitch. It's over the outside corner, about letter high for call strike two. So you have full count, three and two. One out. Top of the seventh, three runs in. Braves eight, Indians five. Outfield toward left. Now with one down, Saul Kell might be going. Here's your pitch. There he goes. The pitch is swung on, lining out into right field for a base hit. Coming in to score is Rickard Saul Kell around second on his way to third. The ball fielded by Juddick. Whips a throw into Gordon at second. Holding third is Saul Kell at first is Mike McCormick with a line single to right field. As he got that ball down toward the handle of the band on the 3-2 pitch and lined it just to the right of Eddie Robinson, the first baseman. And on out into right field. So Mike McCormick delivers a line single to right, scoring Marv Rickert with the fourth run of the inning. This has been the second four-run inning of the ball game. The Indians scored four in the last of the fourth. And coming up is Eddie Stanky, who fly to center and walked twice. Saul Keld on third. Mike McCormick on first. Infield set up the same, hoping for either a play at the plate or they'll go for the double play. Nine to five, favor the Braves. The pitch to Stanky's a pitch out. A throw down to first base, not in time. Jimmy Hegan called for a pitch out, hoping to pick off Mike McCormick at first. But Mike was back in time. Johnny Cooney hollering to Mike McCormick to get back. And now Russ Christopher looks in to get that sign from Hegan. The outfield straight away for Stanky, not too deep. Christopher all set. Runners on first and third. Here's your pitch. Stanky takes. There's a throw down to third base. It's into the dirt. Picked up nicely by Keltner as Salkel gets back safely. Another pitch out was called for just as Eddie Stanky slid his hands up on the bat as if he was going to try the squeeze, the delayed squeeze, because Salkel wasn't breaking for the plate, so it had to be the delayed squeeze, or else Stanky was going to bluff a bunch. And it was a pitch out, and Hegan threw to third and almost threw it away. All right, two balls, no strikes. Here's the pitch. Thank you. Takes strike one call over the outside corner. Two and one. Lou Boudreau gambling in there, calling for two pitch outs. Most likely, the manager gave that sign, trying to pick the runner off first and then the one off third. Hoping to get out of the jam that way. And now Christopher with the stretch throw. Thank you. Shortens up, takes outside. Ball three. And again, he either was bluffing the bunt or else they had the delayed squeeze on because Saul Kell wasn't uh, going on the pitch. In other words, it wasn't that suicide squeeze where the runner from third breaks and hopes that the batter lays it down properly. It might have been the type where the runner at third takes the lead and makes sure that the ball is laid down and then puts on the steam heading plateward. Three balls, one strike, one out. Saul Kell on third, Mike McCormick on first, four runs in, top of the seventh. Here's your pitch. There goes the runner from first. The pitch is looped out of the right field for a base hit. Coming in to score is Salkel. Mike McCormick races around to third. 
And then the ball is bobbled out in right field momentarily by Judding, but it recovers in time. And Stanky just blooped one out in the right field. And Lou Boudreau goes to the mound. That's all for Christopher, and it's going to be Satchel Page. Christopher was unable to get anybody out. And here's the announcement about the appearance of Satchel Page. Listen. And while Satchel Page makes the walk to the mound, there are five runs in here in the seventh inning for the Braves. They lead 10 to 5 with one out. We pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For the best in sports, including every game of the World Series, keep tuned to 710. This is WOR, New York. Eddie Stanky, in uh, setting that uh, sort of a humpback liner in the right field, actually threw his bat at the ball. Just sort of a sort of half threw his bat at the ball and flipped it out into right field for that base hit that sent Salkeld home and Mike McCormick racing around to third. Now those three runs, or at least the last three runs, have been charged to Eddie Kleiman. The first seven to Bobby Fuller. Russ Christopher is responsible for Mike McCormick and Eddie Stanky. And now coming to bat is Warren Spahn, a left-hander. So we'll see what Satchel Page is able to do as he makes his first World Series appearance. Warren Spahn up, runners on first and third, left side of the infield in, fairly close. Here's the pitch, and it's low, ball one, low outside. Satchel Page, born in Mobile, Alabama. And now, George Barr walks out to the mound to talk to Satchel Page about his style of delivery. Lou Boudreaux comes in to see what they're going to talk about, and Bill Summers moves over to represent the American League. There always was, during the course of the season, a great deal of discussion about Satchel's uh, style of delivery in uh, so far as his windup was concerned. The hesitation pitch. And it was ruled illegal in the American League. That is to say, he would go into his windup, come to a stop up over his head, take that stride forward with his foot, and delay a second before he threw. Now we're ready to resume action. Runners on first and third. The pitch. Warren Spahn swings and pounds it back up onto the screen, out of play. And the count is one and one. Satchel Page, a six foot three hundred eighty pounder, born in Mobile, Alabama, and although the American League roster lists him as living in Cleveland. He lives in Kansas City. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike two. As old Satch poured a fast one in there. Satch uh, at least has a home in Kansas City. He visits down to Mobile. As Satch said one time, said, I just live where a pitch. The right-hander all set. He throws, Spahn swings and lifts a high fly ball out into right center field. Maybe deep enough for a score. There's the catch by Doby tanking up as Mike McCormick. He comes racing into the plate and scores after the catch. Holding first is Stanky. 
So Warren Spahn sent a fly ball into right center, which Larry Doby caught for the second out of the inning, but was deep enough to enable Mike McCormick to tag up and score after the catch to make it now an 11-5 ball game in favor of the Boston Braves. Two down, and we go to the top of the order for the second go-round. As Tommy Holmes started it off, he becomes the 10th batter to come to bat in the seventh inning for Boston. A left-hand hitter. Satchel Page ready, throws. Tommy Holmes takes over the outside corner for a call strike. Page did some great pitching for the uh, Cleveland Indians in spots during the course of the season. He won six games and lost one. The right-hander's ready. Checks his runner, throws outside for a ball, and the count is one and one. Page uh, won six and lost one in 21 appearances, worked 73 innings, allowed 61 hits, walked 22, and struck out 43. Warren Spahn, incidentally, becomes the first pitch in the series to drive in a run. Satchel Page delivers to Tommy Holmes, and it's inside. Ball two, two and one. Page, through his many years of pitching, is quite a cute one out there. Bill Boisel, who's scheduled to work tomorrow if the series uh, continues in Boston, looks up here and waves at Jimmy Britt. And yours truly. Here's the pitch now. Tommy Holmes swings and hits a fly ball down the left field line. It's going to go foul out of play into the left field stands. Dale Mitchell went over but couldn't get to the ball in time. And the count on Tommy Holmes is 2-2. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. And I suppose after the press and radio had done so much talking about the low scores and low hit totals over the first four games, these two teams decided to do something about it today. And they have with a vengeance. All right, here's your pitch. Tommy Holmes swings and lifts a high pop-up foul down the left field line. There he is. Kenny Keltner racing for it. Can't get it. Just drops in behind him. Dale Mitchell came over, but he couldn't get to it either. And so Tommy Holmes has another opportunity. Satchel Page is listed as having been born in Mobile, Alabama, September the 18th, 1908, which would make him 40 years of age. However... There was a report during the course of the summer in which uh, Satchel Page's mother said that he was 44, which spiked rumors to the effect that Satchel was up around the 50s. He's been pitching a long time. The right-hander with a stretch, checks the runner, Stanky leading off first. Here's the pitch. Swung on, drilled down the left field line, and it goes foul. As Tommy Holmes continues to hit him down the left field line, that ball was... Uh, somewhat similar to the one he hit in the eighth inning of the first game that gave uh, Johnny Sane victory over Bobby Fowler one to nothing. Boston Braves 11, Cleveland Indians 5, top of the seventh inning. This inning's been going on a long time. Satch Page ready. Check Stanky. Here's the pitch to Holmes. And wait a minute. Billy Greve called a balk. There was a balk called on Satchel Page. Sage uh, Page came up with a stretch and then broke it before he delivered to the plate. That is to say, he came down and stopped and then re-engaged the stretch, so to speak. And immediately, Billy Greve called the balk. So they've just called a balk on Satchel Page, which enables Eddie Stanky to move down to second base. Well, I guess that sort of completes the day. Now we've had just about everything. Ready for the payoff pitch to Tommy Holmes. Here it is. Tommy swings, sends a ground ball out to short. 
taken on two big hops by Lou Boudreaux, throws on over to first in time for the out. So Sancho Page got him out. And for the Boston Braves in the big seventh inning. Six runs, one, two, three, four, five hits. One error for the Cleveland Indians, one man left on for Boston. And at the end of six and a half innings, the score, Boston, 11, Cleveland, 5. In the words of Bucky Walters of the Cincinnati Reds, the modern Gillette Super Speed Racer is something super special. As you heard him say, he can't imagine a more convenient razor or one that shaves as easily. Men, with this razor, you change blades instantly and enjoy matchless shaving comfort as well. Now, the Gillette Super Speed Razor is a precision instrument, not a gadget. There's nothing to fit together, nothing to jam or clog, and you don't have to be a locksmith to make it work. Twist, it opens. Zip, it's loaded. Then twist again. Yes, blade changing is that easy. To clean, just loosen the razor, rinse, shake, and put away. Super Speed Razor. You get it complete with a 10-blade Gillette dispenser, a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. And so we have concluded the longest half inning in this series and the biggest half inning in this series as the Braves tee off for five hits and six runs. Now, one of the runs was charged to Russ Christopher, as you, we uh, keep our record straight. Seven to Fowler, three to Climb, and one to Christopher. And as we come to the last half of the seventh inning, we're going to have a pinch hitter for Satchel Page, who was scheduled to hit, and naturally being uh, behind by a score of 11 to 5, Lou Boudreau sending up a pinch hitter. It's going to be Al Rosen. Al Rosen, who had a great year with Kansas City in the American Association, came up in time to be eligible for the World Series. Good hitter, right-hand batter. Steps to the plate. Warren Spahn, the left-hander, into the windup. In comes the pitch. Rosen looks at a fastball that's low. Ball one. After reporting to the Indians, leaving Kansas City, Rosen was in five games, went to bat five times, had one hit. In comes the pitch. Rosen looks at it. It's over for a call strike. One and one. Bob Muncree for right-handers throwing in the bullpen for Cleveland. Cleveland fans begin that rhythmic applause calling for a rally. Warren spawns into his windup. Round comes the left arm. Here's your pitch. Al Rosen takes outside. Ball two. Two and one. They play Rosen as a pull hitter. Outfield way around toward left. And you've got Tommy Holmes... In a shallow, extreme right center. Now the pitch. Holmes, uh, rather, uh, Rosen swings, pops it up out into short center, backing up his stanky. He makes the catch about 10 feet back from the outfield grass, directly behind the bag. So Rosen, batting for Page, pops to stanky. Now we go to the top of the Cleveland order to pick up Dale Mitchell. Mitchell hit a home run, leading off for the Indians in the first inning. Line to left in the third and got a base on balls in the fourth inning. Here it is, the last of the seventh. He hasn't been to bat since the fourth. Warren Spahn came on in the fourth inning to relieve Potter and has done some wonderful pitching. He throws high, ball one. 
Potter, who started for the Braves, went three and a third innings, gave up five hits and five runs. Warren Spahn all set. He throws and gets the outside corner for a call strike. One and one. One ball, one strike, one out. The left-hander working rapidly pitches. Mitchell swings and lifts a high pop-up just off to the right of the mound. Earl Torgerson comes in on the grass of the infield, makes the catch, and they're two away. Two men down for the Cleveland Indians in the last half of the seventh inning of an 11-5 ball game, which was nip and tuck until the Braves scored six in the top of the seventh. Now here's Larry Doby, who grounded second, grounded out first baseman to the pitcher who covered, and then struck out in that order. Left-hand hitter, Warren Spahn throws. Fastball, it's low inside, ball one. Spahn was attempting to negotiate the inside corner knee high on Doby. Spahn has turned in one of the finest stretches of pitching we've seen in the series thus far, and we've seen some great pitching up until today. Now the pitch, swung on, foul off right up here. Look out. I admired that Jim Britt. Ice water in his veins. He barely flinched. One ball, one strike. Two down. Last the seventh. Warren Spahn throws. Pitch inside to Doby. Backs him away from the plate. Ball two. One strike, two outs. Last the seventh. Bob Moncrief throwing the bullpen for Cleveland. He'll come on and do the pitching when we go to the eighth inning. Rosen having batted for Page. Here's your delivery. Swung on by Doby. A long fly ball down the left field line. Marv Rickert races over. He's getting under it and makes the catch. So the Indians unable to do anything with Spawn in the last half of the seventh are out in order. And at the end of seven innings of play, it's 11 to 5 in favor of the Braves. And now Warren Spawn has retired 3, 6, 9. Ten men in a row. Three, six, nine, ten. He allowed one man to reach first base since he relieved Potter in the fourth inning. And that was Dale Mitchell, whom he walked after retiring Bobby Feller. Potter was removed after Jimmy Hegan hit a three-run homer in the fourth inning to send the Indians ahead of the Braves five to four. So we're ready to move now to the top half of the eighth. Your seven-inning totals show the Boston Braves with 11 runs, 11 hits, no errors, five men left on, Cleveland, five runs, five hits, two errors, and three men left on base. Bobby Feller started, went six in the third innings, allowed eight hits, walked two, struck out five, gave up seven runs. Ed Kleiman came on in the seventh, couldn't get anybody out, allowed one hit and three runs. Russ Christopher came on in the seventh. He couldn't get anybody out. Allowed two hits and one run. And Satchel Page finally came on and put out the fire. Although he permitted Warren Spahn to hit a long fly ball to Doby that enabled a runner at third to tag up and score after the catch. So Bob Munkrieg comes on to do the pitching now for Cleveland. Number 25, Munkrieg. Bob Moncrief, the fifth Cleveland pitcher of the ball game, 
And it's odd that in the first four games of this World Series, every Cleveland pitcher, every Cleveland starting pitcher went the distance. But today, Lou Boudreau has had to call on five men. Feller went to the seventh with one out and then came in order, Kleiman, Christopher Page, and now Muncreef. Bob Muncreef, a six-foot, 190-pounder, born in Medill, Oklahoma, now lives in Denison, Texas. And the right-hander will have to pitch first to Al Dark as we go to the top of the eighth inning. Right-hand batter. Muncreep throws. High outside, ball one. Dark has had one out of three, first inning single. Grounded to the third, fly to center, and then sacrificed in that order. Muncreep throws a pitch that swung on. A grounder hit out to short. Two hops to Lou Boudreau. He's up with it. Throws over to Eddie Robinson in time, and Dark is out. Short to first. Boudreau to Robinson. Earl Torgerson steps up, a left-hand batter. Line to right field, grounded to first, fly to left, and single to center. Driven in one run. Bob Elliott's driven in four with a pair of homers. Rickard's driven in one, Saul Kell one, Mike McCormick one, Stanky one, Spawn one. Everybody but Holmes and Dark have driven in runs for the Braves. There's a pitch that's cut on viciously and fouled off onto the screen. Strike one. Should the series return to Boston tomorrow, and as the score now stands, it will, we'll be on the air at the same time, which will be 12.45 Eastern Standard Time for the sixth game of the World Series. Now the pitch. It's high. Ball one, one and one. One ball, one strike, one out. We always say should, or in the event of, since those of you who are great baseball fans know that the game is never over till the last man is out. Now the pitch inside. Ball two, two and one. Two balls, one strike. One out, top half of the eighth inning. Braves 11. Indians 5. Been a lot of tattooing in the TP today. Here's Moncrief's pitch. And it misses the outside corner for ball three. Three and one. Torgerson has a look at Johnny Cooney, who's now coaching at third base. This is the first time I recall that Billy Southworth, the Braves manager, hasn't appeared on the coaching lines in the series. Now the pitch. Swung on and missed strike two as Torgerson leveled off, hoping to go all the way with that one. Freddie Fitzsimmons is coaching at first base and Johnny Cooney at third. I guess Billy Southworth figures that he must have gotten awful tired getting those six in on the seventh and wants to rest a while. Now the payoff pitch to Torgerson. Swung on, lined over the head of first baseman Eddie Robinson down the right field line for the base hit. Judnick over the line, up with the ball, whips the throw into second, and Torgerson has to go back to first after taking his turn. That ball normally would have been an out. Although it was well tagged, it would normally have been a one-hopper to Eddie Robinson deep at first. But as he waited for the hop, it bounced not into his glove, but high over his head as it hit a hard spot on the infield and thus becomes a base hit for Earl Torgerson, his second consecutive base hit, and the 12th hit for the Boston Braves today, which is a team high for a single game in the series. And now Bob Elliott, who's had two homers in succession, a strikeout and a walk is up. The pitch 
Low outside, ball one. One out, one on, top of the eighth. Braves 11. Indians 5. Outfield round toward left for Bob Elliott. Infield shaded around toward third. Bob Muncreep throws. Curveball that zips over the heart of the plate. About belt high for a call strike. One and one. One ball, one strike, one out. Muncreep looks in to get that sign from Jimmy Hegan. Torgerson dances off first base. Here's your delivery. Swung on. Slow grounder. Hit foul down the third baseline. Kenny Kellner goes over to get it. Everybody was kidding uh, Kenny. You know, for the World Series, generally the teams that participate have brand new uniforms made. They like to uh, blossom out in the World Series with spanking new uniforms. And then they'll use those as their road uniforms for the next season. Uh, rather, their home and uh, road uniforms for the next season. Tell you about uh, Keltner in a moment. Here's the pitch, and it's inside and high to Elliott for ball two. Keltner got his brand new uniform, but they for- forgot to order a cap to fit him. So he had to uh, use the old one that he used during the regular season. They were kidding him about having on a brand new suit and an old hat. Two balls, two strikes, one out. Bob Elliott, the batter. Earl Torgerson moves off first. Robinson holding against him. Muncreep throws. Pitch that dips low inside for ball three, three and two. The Cleveland pitchers were getting uh, Bob Elliott out pretty regularly up until today, even in the clutch. But after he hit those two successive homers his first two times up today, they've been pitching mighty carefully to him. Now we're ready for the payoff pitch. There goes the runner. The pitch is swung on, lined out to left field. Dale Mitchell comes and makes the catch for the out. Torgerson, who's all the way down to second, has to turn and hustle back to first to avoid being doubled up. Bob Elliott hit that one right on the nose, but right at Dale Mitchell in deep left for out number two. Elliott lines to Mitchell. Now that brings to the plate Marv Rickard. Rickard looked to the third strike in the first inning. Grounded out to Eddie Robinson in the third, who flipped to Bobby Fowler, who covered first. Struck out again in the sixth inning, and then single to center in the big seventh. Bats him left-handed. Outfield plays him to pull. Moncrief, the uh, reliever, lobs the ball over to first base to Robinson. Runner back in plenty of time, Earl Torgerson. Now Moncrief again is ready. Has his stretch, throws. Pitch is inside for a ball. Curveball, it broke in. One ball, no strikes. Boston Braves, 11. Cleveland Indians, 5. There's a quick throw to first base. Again, not in time as Torgerson, watching Muncreep very closely, gets back to the bag. Muncreep once more the stretch. Torgerson moves off. Here's your pitch. Swung on. There's a drive out into right center field. Judging Grace is over. He's going to get under it and makes the catch for the out. No runs, one hit, no errors, one left on. And at the end of seven and a half innings of play, the score, Boston 11, Cleveland 5. Men, make it a point to get the sensational new Gillette dispenser that puts 20 Gillette Blue Blades, 40 shaving edges, right at your fingertips. With it, you change blades in a flash. Push with your thumb and zip. There's a blade, unwrap, 
ready for use with any Gillette razor. You save time, save bother. Also, the shaving edges are perfectly protected at all times. They don't even touch the dispenser when blades are being ejected. Here's the handiest shaving aid you ever used. Yes, and you pay no premium for it. Just 98 cents. The price of 20 Gillette Blue Blades. For utmost convenience, buy Gillette Blue Blades in the modern Gillette dispenser. Look sharp. Feel sharp. Be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Strolling bands moving through the stands entertain the crowds here at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. That's traditional during the course of the regular season. Mr. Bill Beck, genial president of the Indians, spares nothing to entertain the crowds that jam this huge stadium on the shorefront of Lake Erie. Now we're ready for the last half of the eighth inning. Lou Boudreau is up, a right-hand hitter. Warren Spahn throws a pitch that's right over there for a call strike fastball. Spahn generally is most effective with that slow curve of his. But he's been using uh, his fastball pretty effectively today. There's a pitch that swung on, drilled out of the right center field, and it's in there. Possibly for extra bases, chasing the ball out there is Mike McCormick. Lou rounds first, heads for second, and goes in standing up for the double. Lou Bugo rounds on the right center for two. the first hit given up by Warren Spahn since he relieved Nelson Potter in the fourth inning with one away and retired the side. After the Indians had gotten four runs to take the lead away from the Braves, five to four at that point. Clyde Chown, a left-hander, and Vern Bickford, a right-hander, throwing the bullpen for the Braves. Joe Gordon up for Cleveland, looks at a pitch that's high for ball one. Gordon walked in the first inning, single to left in the fourth, and line to Elliott in the fifth. Warren Spahn with the stretch, checks Boudreaux leading off second, the pitch. Gordon bluffs a bunt, takes a delivery that's in there for a called strike. Elliott laying back deep at third. Gordon might have attempted to lay one down just to get another man on base. 11-5 to five the score, last the eighth inning. That's the Indians' objective right now, to get as many men on base as they can. Warren Spahn ready, throws. Gordon takes strike two. It's called fastball over the outside corner. One ball, two strikes to count on Gordon. From here, it would appear that Spahn, who is supposed to be most effective with that slow curve, is crossing the Indians up by making use of his fastball. Now the left-hander delivers. Gordon takes outside. Ball two, two to the count. No matter what a pitcher throws, if he could figure he could outguess those batters, that's what he would throw, whether that be his pet pitch or not. Now Spahn is ready, delivers. Joe Gordon swings, pops it foul out of play behind the plate. Ball going into the upper deck. You've got a 2-2 count on Joe Gordon. Last half of the eighth inning, Lou Boudreau on second base with a two-base hit. Indian fans starting that rhythmic applause again, calling for that rally. Now the pitch. Swung on and missed. Strike three. Joe Gordon really leveled off on that one. He was going all the way. 
Incidentally, for Boudreaux, that is his third double of a series. He's had three out of the Indians, five doubles. Now you've got Kenny Keltner up, a right-hand batter. Warren Spahn throws. Keltner swings, lifts a long fly ball, curving foul, going out of play. Missing the upper deck in left field and going into the lower stands over the Braves' bullpen. The Braves' bullpen being located in a spot off the foul line in deep left field. Indians' bullpen in a similar spot off the foul line in right field. All right, Boudreaux leads off second. Spawn with a stretch, throws. Keltner looks at a fastball and gets that outside corner for a call strike. Spawn is working it beautifully today. He, uh, instead of the Indians outguessing him, he's outguessing the Indians. They're looking for that slow one, and when they're looking for the slow one, he gives them the fast one and vice versa. Now the pitch, slow curve, and it's high, very high. Ball one, one and two. The Indians got five hits off start of Nelson Potter in the three and a third innings that he worked. And the double by Boudreaux leading off here in the eighth inning was the first hit off Spahn, who had retired ten men in a row, had walked one man only in the time he'd been on the mound. Now the pitch. Keltner takes strike three, called over that inside corner. Fastball. Came in there about letter high up. Beautiful pitch. And now you've got coming up to the plate a pinch hitter for Waller Jetnik. It looks as if it may be Ray Boone. Here at that number 28, Ray Boone. Ray Boone. For number 28, Ray Boone. Who appeared, uh, came to the Indians at the end of the year. Went to bat for them five times in six games, had two out of five for a 400 average. Ray Boone, six foot, 188 pounder from San Diego, California. Batting for Judnick. Here's the pitch, and it's over that outside corner for a call strike. And Warren Spahn continues to stay ahead of the hitters. Boone, a right hand hitter. Judnick's a left hand hitter. That's the reason for the switch. Now the pitch is high outside. Ball one, one and one. Lou Boudreaux wants to get a right-hand hitter up there. The score is 11 to 5 in favor of the Braves last half of the eighth inning. Spawn all set. Boudreaux leads off second. Here's your pitch. Ray Boone swings and he misses. Strike two. And Spawn is spinning masterfully. One ball, two strikes, two outs. The left-hander's all set. Again with the stretch. Checks his runner. Here's the pitch. Boone takes just outside for ball two. Two-two the count. Lou Boudreaux opened the inning with a double. Has remained there as Gordon Keltner struck out. Ray Boone, a pinch hitter up, and the pitch. Swung on and missed. Strike three. And Warren Spahn strikes out the side. And the sportsmanlike-minded Cleveland fans, many of them, stand up and applaud him as he walks off the mound. 
No runs for Cleveland. One hit. No errors. And one man left on base. And the score at the end of eight innings, the Boston Braves, 11, Cleveland Indians, 5. Before we go into the ninth inning, ladies and gentlemen, we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. For the World Series and other top sporting events the year-round, keep tuned to 710. This is WOR, New York. As we go into the top of the ninth inning, a change in the Indians lineup. Ray Boone, having batted for right fielder Walter Judnick, means that we'll have a new right fielder. We're just trying to check to see whether or not that's Thurman Tucker. Tucker. No, it's Hal Peck. Hal Peck. Hal Peck. Hal Peck going into right field. A boy from Big Bend, Wisconsin. A fellow who had a great uh, future predicted for him as a major leaguer, but in a, an unfortunate accident, lost some toes on foot and never has been quite able to reach the uh, grade expected of him. Now as we go to the top of the ninth inning, Bill Salkel swings the first pitch and fouls it off to the right of the plate. Out of play, strike one. And so, in a sense, we think it quite fitting and, uh, well, a bit of justice in a sense for Hal Peck to at least get into a portion of a World Series. He's delivered some telling blows in the role of a pinch hitter for the Indians in the course of the year. Bill Salkel now takes, and it's in there for call strike two, breaking pitch that had him wiggling, started to swing, held up, started to swing again and held up finally, and the ball was in there. Bob Muncreep, right-hander, fifth pitcher used by the Indians today, into the windup. The two-strike pitch, Saul Kell swings and fouls it off onto the screen. Two strikes to count on Bill. Fly to center, popped to second, hit a home run, and walked. It was his home run in the sixth inning that tied the score at 5-5. Then the Braves leveled off in the seventh for six runs to go ahead 11 to 5. Moncrief throws. Saul Kell swings and fouls this one off to the left of the plate out of play. Bobby Hogue and Vern Bickford throwing the bullpen for the Boston Braves now. Two right-handers. No activity in the Indians' bullpen. Billy Southworth having a couple of boys ready as against a Ninth inning uprising by the Indians. Now the pitch to Saul Kell is swung on. Little grounder hits slowly out towards second. Gordon charges the ball up with it. Throws to Robinson, covering in time for the out. And it took a lot of good teamwork on that play to retire Saul Kell because it was one of those teasing kind of bounders. Hit slowly. Too far off to the right of the mound as you look out onto the field for the pitcher to get. And if the first baseman had uh, come off to field it, there probably would have been nobody to cover first. And so Joe Gordon, sizing up the play quickly, hollered, Get over there, Ed. You could hear it way up here in our booth, the, cl- the crowd being comparatively silent. Gordon fielded it through to Robinson for the putout. Mike McCormick takes inside for a ball, right-hand hitter. 
One out, top of the ninth inning, 11 to 5, favor the Braves. McCormick was safe on an error, line to right, grounded to short, and single to right in that order today. Everybody's driven in a run for the Braves, but Holmes and Dark. The pitch inside, fastball, ball two. Holmes has had a pair of hits. Dark has had one. Torgerson's had a pair. Elliott has had a pair. Two homers, first two times up. Rickard's had one. Salkel's had a hit, a homer. McCormick and Stanky have hit. Here's your pitch. Swung on, popped up into the air, down toward third. Kenny Keltner getting under the ball, waiting, and he makes the catch for out number two in the top of the ninth inning. Nelson Potter, the starting pitcher, had a hit. And Warren Spahn, thus, is the only man in the Braves lineup who has not hit safely today, although he drove a long fly ball to center field that enabled a runner to score after the catch. Now Eddie Stanky steps up. Fly to center, walk twice, and single to right in that order. Moncrief throws, Stanky takes, strike one call, the fastball, he got the inside corner. Bob Moncrief, tall Texan, throws the pitch, curve inside. Ball one, one and one. One ball, one strike, two outs, top of the ninth inning. Moncrief ready. He's into his windup. Round comes the right arm. The pitch. Stanky looks at a curve that stays way outside. The ball, as a matter of fact, gets away from Jimmy Hegan. And the count is two and one. Should the score remain as it is, or at least with the Boston Braves on top when the firing is over for the day, the scene will shift to Braves Field in Boston for the sixth game of the World Series. And it will be Bill Boisel going for the Braves and most likely Bob Lemon for the Cleveland Indians. Here's your pitch. Stanky swings and lines it solidly down the left field line, and it is fouled by two feet. As a matter of fact, Joe Paparella, the American League alternate umpire who's stationed deep down the left field line, had to jump out of the way of the ball. He was standing in foul territory to avoid being hit by it. You know, Stanky, to have the outfield playing so shallow for him comparatively, has hit a couple of long balls in this series foul. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. Bob Moncrief all set. The right-hander throws. Stanky swings and loses his bat as he pops one up near the first baseline, which Moncrief himself grabs for the out. And we were looking for the umpires to signal whether the ball was fair or foul. It looked foul from here, but uh, in the final analysis, it doesn't matter. There was a little uh, pop-up that uh, the first baseman or the catcher could get to since it wasn't high enough, but the pitcher was able to go over and get it. No runs, no hits, no errors, nobody left on. And at the end of eight and a half innings, the Braves lead 11-5. to You know, fans, some statistics are interesting, like batting averages. Others are pretty grim, like the awful figures on highway deaths we read after every holiday weekend. According to the National Safety Council, speed, drink, and carelessness cause most accidents on the highway. And in almost every instance, there are one or more violations of the law. So don't speed, don't drink when driving, and don't take a chance. Be careful. Remember, the life you save may be your own. 
Last half of the ninth inning for the Cleveland Indians. It'll be Eddie Robinson, Jim Hegan, the first two batters, and most likely a pinch hitter for Bob Muncrief. 11 to 5 the score in favor of the Boston Braves. Eddie Robinson steps up. He flies to center, popped short, and grounded to second. Warren Spahn, who relieved Nelson Potter in the fourth inning, getting set to work. Vern Bickford alone is throwing the bullpen now for the Braves. Bob Hogue, who was warming up with him a moment ago, is no longer doing so. It's Bickford all by himself. All right, Warren Spahn into the windup. Here's the first pitch. Last of the ninth inning to Eddie Robinson. He swings and lifts a fly ball out into short left field. Marv Rickard under it, waiting, makes the catch. And there's one away for the Indians in the last half of the ninth inning. Now you've got big Jim Hegan coming up. He grounded a third, hit a home run, and struck out in that order. And now, anticipating the necessity of going back to Boston... Warren Spahn into the windup now to pitch to Jim Hegan. And the pitch is high for the ball. We had to hold up there. We're trying to get the information that's being announced over the PA system in the press box as to departure times for the trains. Warren Spahn into his windup. Here's the pitch. And it's high outside. Ball two. Two balls, no strikes. One out last the ninth. 11 to 5 in favor of the Braves. Spahn throws and gets that outside corner for a called strike. Warren Spahn, the six foot 175 pounder from McLester, Oklahoma, throws a pitch that swung on and missed strike two. Spahn was born in Buffalo. He lives in McLester, Oklahoma now. And he has certainly turned in a tremendous job of pitching since he relieved Nelson Potter back there in the fourth inning. The left-hander delivers the 2-2 pitch. Swung on, foul back to the screen. Count holds it 2-2. Jimmy Hegan was uh, on the verge, or I shouldn't have said on the verge. He was uh, in position to have been the hitting hero of this ball game. He had a home run with two on in the fourth inning that put the Indians ahead of the Braves 5-4. Now the pitch. Jim swings and he misses. Strike three. And Warren Spahn has struck out four of the last five men he's faced. A total of six altogether since he came on in the fourth inning with one out. And now Joe Tipton is going to come up to bat for Bob Muncrief. Joe Tipton, a right-hand hitter, coming up to bat for Bob Muncrief. Tipton is... A reserve Cleveland catcher, 5'11", 185-pounder, from McKaysville, Tennessee. The right-hand batter on the first pitch. It's foul tip for a strike. We were a little confused there. Perhaps the ball was over the plate, about letter high, and called a strike. We couldn't tell whether the ball hit the handle of the bat of Tipton or just hit the edge of the mid of Salkal and bounced away. In any event, George Barr called it a strike. Now Warren spawns into the windup, delivers, and it's in there for call strike two. And Warren Spahn is really doing a tremendous job out there. 
There have been many high spots of pitching in this series, but none excelled. Here's your pitch swung on, line foul down the left field line, but none of them have excelled. The stint turned in so far by Spahn. Twenty-eight-year-old left-hander. Twenty-seven-year-old left-hander, I should say. Comes in with a pitch, swung on, grounded foul off to the left of the plate. Two outs. Last half of the ninth inning. With the score, 11-5 to five in favor of the Braves. Outfield playing uh, Tipton to pull. Joe Tipton, batting for Bob Moncrief. The boy that was born in Copper Hill, Tennessee, but lives in McCaysville, Tennessee now. And the pitch is high outside. Ball one, one and two. Warren Spahn working rapidly. Into the windup, delivers. The pitch swung on and missed. Strike three. And Warren Spahn winds up in a tremendous blaze of glory as he strikes out five of the last six men he faces. No runs for Cleveland. No hits. No errors. And nobody left on base. And Warren Spahn went from the fourth inning with one out when he came in to relieve Nelson Potter and pitched five and two-thirds innings of one-hit ball. Your totals... The Boston Braves, 11 runs, 5, 6, 11, 12 hits, no errors, 3, 6. Six men left on. For the Cleveland Indians, 5 runs, 6 hits, 2 errors, and 4 men left on. This was the fifth game of the 1948 World Series, which now stands Cleveland, 3 victories, Boston, 2. And tomorrow, Bob Lemon and Big Bill Voisel, two right-handers, will battle it out at Braves Field on the banks of the Charles River in Boston. Don't forget, folks, that we'll be back on the air tomorrow afternoon at 12.45 Eastern Standard Time to report the crucial sixth game of this 1948 World Series for you, direct from Braves Field in Boston. Until then, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Mel Allen and Jim Britt. We wish to thank the following sponsors for relinquishing their broadcast time today for the broadcast of the game just concluded. The Keeper of the Keys, William L. Scharer, John B. Kennedy, The Canary Pet Show, Your Hymnal, Blackstone the Magician, and Juvenile Jury. Blackstone the Magician will be heard one time only at half past seven next Tuesday night. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.